using free speech to free minds. You're listening to The David Knight Show. As the clock strikes 13, it's Wednesday, the 12th of October, year of our Lord, 2022. Day 942 of the New World Orders. I am Tony Arterburn. I am filling in for the great David Knight. We've got a great show for you today. I've got my David Knight mug. I've got my David Knight pen. I've got my David Knight t-shirt off to the side over here. We'll talk about some of those products and how you can support the show a little bit later. You know, I'm, I'm not quite sure um, what makes me more nervous, jumping out of an aircraft or starting the David Knight show. <laughs> I've, I've done both, and I don't know, memory serves me. I wasn't quite as nervous to do uh, aircraft uh, exits <laughs> at night, uh, but I love doing the show. I love seeing you and uh, hearing from you. And we're going to hear from you in the second hour. We're going to open up the phone lines. I've got the toll-free number standing by. For the second hour and uh, the legendary Donald Jeffries will join us in the third hour to talk about Armageddon on the Internet. And of course, if you listen to David or myself, we've been talking a lot about the geopolitical meltdown that's happening. And if I can, I'd like to give a little bit of historical context to why we're so alarmed. Uh, I think that uh, a great deal of the mainstream mockingbird teleprompter reading media has no idea. They have um, <laughs> what Aristotle, I believe, said that uh, philosophers fail by lack of historical sense. Well, <laughs> the, the media fails by lack of sense in all areas. They have no idea uh, the events that led up to this um, very dangerous timeline. And now we're just, again, accelerating every a- uh, aspect of that. I've got an article uh, from Patrick Wood on technocracy.news. We're going to go over here in just a little while that asks the same questions that I've been asking. What is actually going on? You know, did we pay attention when they ran that commercial back in, what was it, 2016 with the World Economic Forum uh, about uh, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy? This was uh, uh, the commercial that asked, uh, imagine a world, and they always do the imagine thing, <laughs> John Lennon, but it's imagine a world where the United States isn't the only superpower or isn't the main dominant superpower. And again, that's what the Great Reset is. It's almost like we act surprised by them reshuffling the chessboard, the grand chessboard, and making all these Machiavellian moves. And we'll go over some of those aspects today because I'm finding that this looks exactly like what they say it was going to look like. If you look at 
the sustainability projects of the agenda for the 21st century or agenda 2030 or the great reset, which is again, you're repeating yourself. It's kind of redundant. It's the same thing, but all of these events, in my opinion, are leading up to that. You look at the headlines and again, this is our world. Let me share my screen real quick. That's something I forgot to do before the show started. So let's look at the headlines of drudge and, uh, how would a great reset look? What does that mean? Well, you look at uh, the the headline right off to the side. It says the UAE, United Arab Emirates, reaches out to Putin. And this is just after the Saudis have been talking about joining the BRICS nations. And David and I talked about that. The It would make it the BRICS. This is, you know, get that one more S after South Africa. But you got to think, what's happening here? What's this? What's this shakeup all about? So you look at these oil-rich nations, OPEC. Look at uh, Ronald Reagan used the Saudis, really leaned heavily on their oil output during the 1980s to weaken the Soviet Union. That was part of his strategy, you know, just keep the the, the oil flowing because that was one of the Soviet unions, if not their main export, I believe, and how they paid the bills, uh, aside from the banksters that gave them money under the table. But you see, this is uh, going in reverse now. And I heard a great commentator this last couple of weeks, and they were talking about, don't look at the the population uh, total of the BRICS nations now, because that's 40% of the Earth. Look at it when all of the other ancillary satellites and people that are in and entities that are talking about joining their coalition, that's 90% of the Earth. So again, uh, I think, you know, if you were to um, look at the dollar, I remember something Pat Buchanan said in his book, The Death of the West, and he asked uh, Richard Nixon about uh, what he thought about uh, Israel in the, you know, in the long term, about their security, about their survival, whatever, about their uh, geopolitical future. And he said Nixon stretched out his arms like a Roman emperor and just gave a thumbs down. And uh, I don't know what that means, but that's what I would do for the dollar. That's what I would I would I would stick my hand like a Roman emperor and put my thumb down. That's the dom the dominating force of the petrodollar is these are its last days. I you know I, I again us gold bugs and precious metals advocates we're always talking about the death of the dollar. We're always talking about hyperinflation and it never comes. Well, because this has never happened before. You had you know, the global reserve currency. Um devalued at such a rapid rate. Again, 80% of all the dollars ever created uh, and created, you know, Snopes will fact check, but all the, you know, the 80% of all the dollars ever created, created in the last 36 months. You don't think that these other nations know that? You don't think that they understand the consequences of that sort of influx and addition to the money supply? It's just pure mathematics. So we're seeing a great shakeup. You can call it what you will, but this reset's happening in real time. We're in 2022. The goal is 2030. They wrote it down, right? How many years is it going to take them to reset the financial order? And where does this go when it leads back to Martin Armstrong's uh, prediction in the Socrates program that he has, the AI, that said that the West needs war to save their currency? And again, there are factions Fighting this is the, the new world order or whatever you want to call it. The globalists they have diff, they fight amongst themselves. It's like the mob, right? 
There's there's probably not one clear top down power structure, but they want to reset. That's what this is, all of this is about. Change. You know, David talks about Strauss and Howe and the the fourth turning. Very important work, because we're in those that time of the historical shift, and it's right on the edge of that. And usually about this time, in the in the turning is when you get war. I think the elites know that. And you know, again, a lot of these historical forces, you know, have been going on for decades. Some of them are natural and some of them are not. You know, the United States, I believe, and I've said this many, many times, is going to go down, and I hope not, I pray not, but this is, again, this is the trajectory we're on. Um, it will go down as the first nation in history to be artificially declined. First civilization in history to artificially decline. You know, every nation has a beginning, has a has a zenith, as an apex and then has an end. But the United States, again, you can see every timeline accelerated by the war being waged on it. All right, we're going to talk a little bit about the economic consequences of what's going on before we dive into World War III. And uh, I'm sure Don Jeffries and I will talk about that as well. Uh, and he's got a great article on uh, internet censorship, and and uh, he knows a thing or two about that. I've watched his channels. Uh, get dinged and banged up and and nuked and all that stuff. So we'll we'll go over that and uh, your calls in the second hour. So I'll remind you of the number here in about uh, twenty minutes or so. Just having a, a sip of coffee from my David Knight mug. I always you know doing broadcasts in the morning is always so different from my show, uh, the Arterburn Radio transmission, which I call the official broadcast of the apocalypse. We have a lot of fun. You can go find us at arterburn.news if you want to. Uh, Check out what I do once or twice a week. I've got my podcast, Paratruther, and uh, we have some great guests and some great researchers on there as well. Let me uh, find this article I wanted to talk about with. Yeah, this is this is an this is one of those harbingers. This is one of those articles where I go, okay, are you paying attention yet? The, again, you can get all the talking heads and the Jim Cramers and all the financial <laughs> shills on these networks, and they'll say. Uh, everything's great. The numbers are looking good. Uh, you know, we, we've got to get those, get those employment numbers bumped up just a little bit. I'm like, Hey, the whole thing's falling apart. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Let's look at this article, uh, on zero hedge. And it's the trans Pacific shipping rates plunge 75% as UL us retail demand falters. Think about that. The shipping rates plunge 75%. Is the problem with price inflation is that it often makes it impossible to track the true health of consumer demand. For example, in August of this year, Walmart reported a jump in overall sales, but also a decline in profit. How is this possible? That's <laughs> because the numbers are up, but the cost goes up, and so your gross margin is less. And I, I know that's really hard. That's a really hard concept for it's for the elites to grasp because they've never had to really run anything. Their generational wealth, or they get paid just to exist. But yeah, that's how. You know, again, when you're when you're non-essential, right? They they say, well, you're not essential. Uh, this is what happens. Uh, spiking inflation in most goods means people have to pay more for the same amount of stuff they usually buy. But Walmart Walmart also had to deal with higher wholesale prices and declining customer purchases as people start to make cuts in the retail budget. In other words, inflation makes it seems like sales are increasing when in reality profits are plummeting. 
Another way to track the actual retail performance without price inflation obscuring reality is to examine shipping volume and shipping rates. In the summer, import volumes to the U.S. began dropping off a cliff, indicating the consumer demand was indeed being affected by inflation and stagflation. Now, Trans-Pacific shipping rates have also plunged at least 75%. Shipping companies are reporting that empty cargo containers are becoming frequent in freight to the U.S. U.S. companies scrambling to adjust after two years of boats overflowing with goods. So all of this, you know, this re-engineering of society, right? As David says, the only science in the last few years has been behavioral science. Like this is, this is a plan. Right, They're remaking everything. Part of that is to choke off the supply line, to disrupt it, right? Do, do it dis- disruptively and iteratively, right? One thing that's important to note is in the process has been ongoing and very little has to do with the Federal Reserve's rate hike program. See, that's, that's the thing. Well, there's a little bit of slow because they you know, raise the, the rate, this tiny little click. Uh, It is a separate issue tied directly to price inflation, and Fed rate hikes have been ineffective in dealing with this problem. Another issue that needs to be addressed is that prices are still high. Yeah, you got, uh, again, they thought, and this article talks about it, when they raised rates a little bit, uh, the economy slows, that inflation would subside, but it did not. The the inflation remains because this is a very complicated process. We have an on-time global economy. Right. And when you do that, you're talking about a reverberation of all the way down the chain, stuff that I don't I mean, I don't get. But I do know you don't mess with it. Right. I'm not a I don't, I don't presume to be a top down communist planner. Um, this is the, the huge decline in volumes and shipping rates signal an important shift in the U.S. economy and are a warning of changes to come. Most importantly, the drop indicates that eight trillion in covid stimulus money that was helicopter dropped into the public in 2020 and 2021 is now gone, or at least the effects, the effects are finally ending. What does that mean? Well, it means folks that, you know, October, uh, and you can, I can kind of see this on the periphery of the headlines that I read, not making a prediction, but I'll tell you, look at your history. 1907 crash, uh, October, 1929 crash. October, 1987, crash, October. Wasn't it 2008? You started to see the cracks in the system. It's because it's the fiscal year end for businesses. You can start writing off your losses. We'll let, uh, you know, John Q. Public and the regular people uh, take the fall. A lot of them start moving things around. It's kind of like 2019. What what happened at the end of 2019? Does anybody remember? Is there a memory? It was the largest exodus of CEOs in the his- history of, I guess, ever, you know, since uh, we started calling people CEOs. Yeah, that was the largest exodus on record right before 2020 kicked off, right? What did they know? <laughs> Were they paying attention to Event 201? Were they getting intel? But, you know, again, uh, largest exodus ever. You know what else was happening at that time? They were pumping in trillions of dollars. Central banks around the world propping up their own markets, the repo markets, the overnights, the liquidity. Something was wrong. You need a lockdown, right? Because you're going to have to pump all that money into the system to save it. I don't know. Something's afoot, right? 
but that creative destruction that they did, this is the consequence. This can't be good, right? They, uh, and we know, uh, and I'm about to get to this Patrick Wood article. Um, that's the two words I tell my audience and what I've been saying for years. If you want to really uh, dig into the essence of our time and what we're looking at, just remember two words, on purpose. Right? That's what this is. It's on purpose. Uh, it's not just stupidity because they can't seem to make a stupid decision that goes into our favor sometimes. All right, let's let's jump right into this Patrick Wood article because this is the, I believe, the most important thing that we can talk about, and that is war. Uh, war is the health of the state, ladies and gents. As you know, uh, there is almost nothing good that comes out of it unless it's a defensive, just war like St. Augustine would talk about. You know, these, uh, these type of events that are being engineered now are purely satanic. Uh, there is no security risk to the United States in these areas, n- none whatsoever. Of course, that hasn't stopped us from, <laughs> from our d- disastrous foreign policy in the past. But we're going to jump into this article. Patrick Wood over on technocracy.news. Is President Biden intentionally trying to start World War III? And if you haven't checked out technocracy.news, you should. I subscribe over there. Patrick Wood, he's got technocracy in the the hard road to world order. I need to get him on my show. Uh, I'm, I'm th- pretty sure David's interviewed him, uh, but technocracy rising. He used to work with Anthony Sutton uh, and uh, study the trilateralist and so many, the Rockefellers and so many others. Um, the geopolitical landscape has deteriorated dramatically during the Biden administration. And the question must be asked, is Biden intentionally trying to start world war three? If so, it would continue the scorched earth policy. All of us who want to, <laughs> for all of those who want to build back better after the great reset. Well, I've been saying for a long time, uh, if you're going to build something back better, uh, you have to destroy it first. Right. And that's the whole plan. I'm surprised that more people didn't catch on to that. And my friend, Jason Lowe is the one that found that the, uh, build back better phraseology in the UN documents back in the 2020 election. I'm surprised it didn't get more coverage, but uh, that's exactly what it is that, you know, and build back became the slogan of the Biden administration and all these other little automatons and soulless, (laughs) soulless puppets for the new world order are all parroting it all over the globe. Uh, Non-woke political scientists have already figured out that the Biden administration suckered Russia into invading Ukraine. Well, that's what I said, right? Most people don't get that, you know, like, uh, again, uh, and I finally heard somebody could do the same comparison that I did, which was, you know, if China came to Mexico and said, hey, we're going to give you weapons. We just want to put some facilities, some bio labs, run some intelligence. We're going to be right here on the border of our our main rival. But you're our friend and, you know, we're going to protect you. Uh, we just need complete access. And we would say, no, well, I think we, we used to would have you know, any sane. Any sane American administration and, and public would have pushed back against that. It went. It would have been war. Uh, but we expect just everybody to roll over. Like we're going to put, we're going to park all this um, hardware. We're going to tease bringing you into NATO, uh, bringing Ukraine into NATO, which would park our nukes right there on your border. It's a, and again, a, a promise that was made by Secretary of State James Baker. Uh, after the fall of the Soviet Union, or right around the time that it was collapsing, we assured G- Gorbachev verbally that we would not expand NATO 
He drew his, withdrew the Soviet troops into Russia's natural borders. Of course, he did. Then we expanded NATO. There's a long history here. I know that's hard for uh, the mainstream because they have to read or and or think about things. Uh, but yeah, there's a history there. This is going back decades. And as of, I think, the last five or six years, it's really accelerated. You, you've seen uh, much more push, a bigger push to get other nations in those, those former Soviet satellites and everything else into NATO or in the NATO periphery. You know, they've, uh, they've figured out that this was on purpose. If the late Zygmunt Brzezinski were alive today, this is exactly what he would have done. Brzezinski was the Trilateral Commission co-founder that originally suckered the USSR into Afghanistan. This wound up being their equivalent of Vietnam with a huge cost in lives, armaments, and resolve. Patrick Wood says, It bothers me that Brzezinski's son, Mark, also a member of the Trilateral Commission, is the current ambassador to Poland. As nuclear rhetoric and alarmism abound, Poland's president just asked the U.S. nuclear weapons based to have U.S nuclear weapons based in his country that's another poke in the eye to the russian bear egging it on to a more desperate fight what role did ambassador mark brzezinski have in this request brzezinski reports to secretary of state anthony blinken who was also a member of the trilateral commission oh who knew all all these secret societies and uh transnational entities like the Council on Foreign Relations linked with the Trilateral Commission. I I mean, I just can't believe it. They they say they want a one-world government, but they can't possibly be true, is it? I mean, that's their stated goal is one-world government and the eraser of borders, but they can't possibly. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, interesting times, folks. Uh, the messaging coming out of Biden's own mouth seems oddly coordinated with Russia, Ukraine, Poland. We have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy in the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> Armageddon, says Biden. At a time when the world should do everything in its power to de-escalate the threat of nuclear war, just the opposite is happening. Even war hawk John Bolton, former National Security Advisor under Trump, called for an outright regime change in Russia. Not just throwing Putin out, but the entire government system. You see how dangerous these people are? I mean... You have to be, and again, you can see it in the eyes of somebody like Lady Lindsey Graham, Lockheed Lady Lindsey Graham, a lover of war. Oh, he just, well, he likes you to fight it, right? Send your children. Uh, not him. He's he's going to be in the rear with the gear. <laughs> you know what? There's probably a whole bunch of jo- jokes there. I can't do it. It's the David Knight show. But that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's Lady Lindsey. Loves war, right? Got to have it. It's, it really is the spirit of Satan. You know, I, for years, long before I hosted for David Knight, I would say that our foreign policy was a, a, a Luciferian ritual, right? Cause we take the best and brightest. I love people that serve, right? I, the, if you're willing to raise your right hand and, and defend the constitution of the United States, I, I, again, you uh, are probably a decent person at some level when you start, right? And when you, when you, when you have that spirit of, of service, right? So that to me is a a mark of somebody with character and we take those people and we use their devotion we use their their willingness to sacrifice for this country and we put them in no win meat grinder wars have nothing to do with the security of the United States while the elites sit back and profit over it what else what else is that other than a sacrifice there's also the aspect of two of our empire this happened to Rome too 
you take the people that are most willing to fight for the country and you make sure they're not here in the empire in the 700 and some odd bases in 132 countries. Yeah. And so in Biden's uh, saying we haven't faced the, the threat of Armageddon. <laughs> this is again, uh, I, I was talking about the, at the end of last year, my friend, Billy Ray Valentine co-host on America Unplugged. We were talking about this and I said, this is this, this whole foreign policy shakeup, the geopolitical issues right now, this seems like it's manufactured. Uh, because we're breaking all the most of our own rules. You know, I gave a quick breakdown on America Unplugged on Saturday. I said, let's go, let's let's talk about why I'm alarmed, or why this is not something that's happened before. Okay. Because yeah, we've always had like skirmishes and we've always had uh we've always, you know, there's been flexing uh on the geopolitical stage, all that real politic. But let's go back to the 50s. You know, this was a United States locked in a cold war with the Soviet Union. Um, we had just developed the hydrogen bomb. They got the hydrogen bomb. You know, the Sputnik was launched. And then you have the uh, invasion or the actually the it, they, it was a crush of crushing of the rebellion of the, uh, the Budapest uprising in Hungary. They rolled in uh, Soviet tanks to put it down. And uh, I know this because. I went to the University of Dallas and studied philosophy for a couple of years, and the university was founded by uh, Catholic nuns and priests who fled Hungary after the Soviets, um, you know, came in and crushed their their uprising. But what did Eisenhower do the next year? Well, he rode an open car with Khrushchev. Right? Eisenhower wasn't talking about uh, nuclear war or Armageddon, right? It was just a part of being a geopolitical power, and you know, the, the goal was always really stability. And then you fast forward with the, Ken, with the John F. Kennedy, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, what was his goal? Well, uh, peace. That's why they shot him in the head in Dallas. I mean, he talked about, if you listen to the American University speech, uh, they're one of the last ones he gave. I think it was in June or so of 1963. Beautiful, beautiful speech. But the thing is, he always wanted to get Khrushchev to the table, and Khrushchev would come around. You know that he had the the bombacity, and he had the uh, the propaganda. He went to before the UN and took his shoe off and banged it on the podium, and he says, "We will bury you." You know, your children will grow up in a communist world. But JFK didn't say we're gonna <laughs> we're we're gonna you know make sure that. Uh, all of our people have enough radiation supplies and stuff. I mean, it was it was about peace. I mean, he wanted to get Khrushchev to the table. Uh, same thing with Nixon opening China. Uh, you know, having uh, Salt One, uh, the Strategic Arms Limitations Agreement. Um, you know, detente the, the the policy of detente with the with the Soviet Union. This was meant to get people to the table. And then you have Ronald Reagan, who, by the way, most people don't know. Uh, Ronald Reagan wanted zero nuclear weapons. He talked about it. He wanted to rid the world of nuclear weapons. And again, he, t he called the Soviet before Gorbachev. And, you know, they I forget what Reagan said, but there was like two different Soviet premiers that died while he was first elected. They said, are you going to meet with the Soviet premier? And he said, I don't know. They keep dying on me. Like they lost Brezhnev. And I forget who the next one was, but then they got Gorbachev. And, you know, he rolled out a, a big military budget. You had the Laffer curve, which is kind of laughable, but you had the Laffer curve where they, you know, uh, goose the economy by 
cutting taxes, but you also don't cut spending. But there was this giant influx of military spending at SDI, the Strategic Defense Initiative, also known as Star Wars. And Ronald Reagan wanted to end the Cold War. Right? Uh, there's If you read Don's book, Hidden History, you you might look at the Reagan administration a lot differently. I'm I'm not uh, touting Reagan at all. I told Don that on Saturday we did America Unplugged. I've read your books. I'm not I'm not a cheerleader for Reagan, but that's what he wanted. Peace. You know, he wanted something. He wanted a uh, a cessation of hostilities, and that was wanted to be his legacy. And by the end of the 1980s, he was walking uh, side by side, patting Gorbachev on the back, and he was even asked to say a prayer in Red Square. I mean, these were these were historic times. But again, somebody wanted peace. Now you fast forward to our time. We've got uh, our administration, whatever this is. I don't know what I, whatever our government is, right? With these um, <laughs> globalist goblins, right? They they have. There's no one. There's no peace envoy. And you have these uh, people like I'm. I, I hate when I'm told who I'm supposed to admire like a Zelensky, you know, and you talk about, you talk about somebody who's unhinged, you know, uh, doing a preemptive strike on Russia. I mean, there's nobody looking for peace. And then you have this break and we're going to get to this in a second because Patrick Wood brings this up, but you get this break in our own policy, which again, I don't even really agree with, but in 1979, it was actually January 1st, 1979, uh, Jimmy Carter, Jimma, uh, Jimmy Carter uh, signed the, uh, well, it was a memorandum uh, from the executive office from the White House uh, that we, uh, the United States, uh, no longer uh, recognized uh, Taiwan. Not really. And we would go with the one China policy. It's something that, that uh, Nixon and Kissinger gave a verbal to Mao, and then we, and Jimmy Carter put it in writing with the help of Zygmunt Brzezinski. So is, is it odd to you, ladies and gentlemen, that we're, we have the third in line for the presidency, like landing in Taiwan? I mean, again, I'm all for smaller nations. I'm all for uh, breakaways and make your own country. I'm all for that. That's the only way liberty exists. These, you know, the consolidation of things is the enemy to liberty, but something is afoot there. Are, you, are they trying to get a response? And uh, Patrick Wood asked the same question. He says, on the other side of the world, Amidst the intensified rhetoric surrounding Taiwan versus China, the China Sea, etc., the Biden administration just poked the big panda in the eye by announcing new restrictions on technology exports to China. Says, according to Zero Hedge, the U.S. Department or Commerce Department on Friday unveiled sweeping new regulations that limit the sale of semiconductors and chip-making equipment to Chinese customers, striking at the foundation of the country's efforts to build its own chip industry. The agency also added 31 organizations to its unverified list, including Yangtze Memory Technologies and a subsidiary of leading chip equipment maker, Nara Technology, severely limiting their ability to buy technology from abroad. So we're punishing China, although though we gave them everything, which is, does anybody remember, you know, December 11th, uh, 2001? I do. That's the uh, the day that the Bush administration gave China most favored nation trading status. It's also the anniversary of when Hitler declared war on the U.S., but I don't think that's I don't think that's related. But yeah, that's what we did. 
And under the Bush administration, one in three manufacturing jobs disappeared, 55,000 factories. The Bush administration lost actually the, what Ross Pro called the giant sucking sound right? about NAFTA, what NAFTA would do to our jobs. Uh, they actually, the Bush administration actually had uh, the Labor Department, I believe it was Labor Department, add fast food jobs as manufacturing because they build sandwiches. And I'm not kidding. Patrick Wood says, China is furious, and it says it will cost America dearly after it figures out how to retaliate against us. Again, the buck stops with the Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken. Connect the dots now. It is already common knowledge that because of Russia's, Russia's isolation, it has chosen China as its closest ally on multiple aspects, financial, energy, military cooperation. The U.S. seems to be setting up the evil axis for world domination, forcing them all into the corner until options run out to prevent total war. Others are noticing this trend as well. Former Democrat Congressman Tulsi Gabbard just left the Democrat Party with a blistering statement. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party that is now in complete control of an elitist, elitist cabal of warmongers dragging us ever closer to a nuclear war. Yeah, I, I'd, uh, I'd be happy to. What happened to Code Pink and all those people? Remember that? What happened to the the anti-war left is, uh, I don't know, it's a lot like Bigfoot. Uh, people try to find it. They go out on expeditions and somebody every once in a while snap a picture. You hear about it. It's on everything. <laughs> no one has proof. I don't have proof. It's the Loch Ness Monster. Well, actually, I think those are more believable, believable now than the anti-war left. I mean, they loved uh, Obama and his uh, killer robots. Love, you know, just hitting wedding parties and you know, uh, execution without trial, American citizens and their kids. Well, that's the stakes folks, right? Isn't it? This is the, this is what's going on. We're being led into world war three without our consent. Talk about taxation without representation. What is this? But it's, uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> elimination without representation. And, uh, it's happening in real time. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't know about all of you. I've been, uh, obviously I follow the headlines. I want to research for my shows and my business. I've just been finding more and more. We'll go over some, let's go some history dates today. I, I pulled up on this day.com. That's always a fun conversation. I, I fall back into history. As a matter of fact, I was, I was watching, uh, I hadn't watched it in over eight years. It's my favorite movie. Uh, not because I'm a fan because of the way it was done, but it was, uh, the, the movie Nixon by Oliver Stone. And uh, he was always the director. I talked to uh, Sean Stone, his son, when I was helping Don on a show, really nice guy. And I forgot to mention that to him because Oliver Stone loved that movie. He didn't understand why he didn't get more accolades and, you know, um, uh, more reviews that were really positive because it's, it's really, if you haven't seen it, it's like a Greek tragedy. Everything's really loud and, Everything that the the cinematography is really interesting, and it has the backdrop of history and the backdrop of Richard Nixon. And one of the things they don't mention in there, and I've watched this movie for years. One of the things they never mention, and we'll talk a little bit uh, today about the consequences of, is when Nixon took us off the gold standard. Which to me, that was just as big, if not bigger, than opening China. It actually is bigger. It's probably the biggest thing he did, but no one really understands it. So they don't think it's that big of a deal. You know, uh, again, uh, one of those, you go back and look at the timeline and you can just see, um, 
we go off the gold standard in 71. We open China in 72. 73, the uh, Trilateral Commission is formed. Uh, 74, Nixon's driven from office. We don't run a trade surplus ever again. That's the last time we actually uh, exported more than we imported. And that was our that was everything that this country was. That's what we were built on. We were built on um, economic nationalism. And you look at uh, the second bill out of Congress was the Tariff Act set up by Alexander Hamilton, you know, and again, all four presidents on Mount Rushmore supported tariffs and anybody in uh, any figure on our paper currency supported tariffs, including Cal Coolidge, who's I think he's on the hundred thousand dollar bill. I, I have to look that up. My, you might Somebody in the chat looked that up for me. We'll talk about it later, but pretty much everyone. Right. So free trade is a new thing that happened. That was starting to be pushed. You know, you go back and you can see that's what made America so strong. We were the greatest creditor nation. Uh, now we're the greatest debtor. We're the world's manufacturing marvel. Now we import everything like a like a colony because we're subject to how other nations, you know, their infrastructure and what they build. And you can see it's a plan. You go back to 1913. They put in the uh, uh, Federal Reserve on Christmas Eve. But that year they'd worked on the income tax. Another part of that was free trade. This wasn't part of our system. Neither was the income tax. Neither was a central bank. Um, is it any wonder, is it a surprise to you that we've arrived at this juncture? I remember reading uh, on air, you know, I did a, a whole read uh, through of a 1999 article by the Mises Institute when I filled in for David back when uh, his show was on InfoWars. And it was uh, all of the planks of the Communist Manifesto and how we'd adopted them. <laughs> so, and that was from 99. Uh, we're w- we're way past that now. We're way down the rabbit hole. All right. Well, maybe we could take a quick break really quick. I, I hardly ever do that here on David's show. Well, maybe we'll just, I'll do a, here, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's run a quick break. And uh, when I come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the economy. Uh, there's, a, there's a bill that's been introduced, and, and I was speaking to you about Nixon taking us off the gold standard. We'll come back and talk a little bit about uh, what's happening on the front of restoring our money. Right. That's uh, that's how we got here. That's why things are so messed up. And you don't talk about first cause. If you don't talk about the root, then we're never we're always just, you know, window dressing. We're not actually solving the problem. So stick around. This is the David Knight show. I'm Tony Arterburn filling in for the great David Knight. We'll be right back after the break. Has your news been censored, banned, censored, banned over and over again? Has vital information been held prisoner by mainstream and anti-social media? It's the duty of every thinking person to make the great escape to the davidnightshow.com. There you'll find links to live streams, videos, audio podcasts, and support links. Live stream the show at DLive and every Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. Eastern. Videos at BitChute and YouTube. New audio podcast, The Real David Knight Show, at Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, Spotify, and more. But even though there's a light at the end of the tunnel, without your support, the show will run out of gas. The links to support the show are at thedavidknightshow.com. 
to donate via Subscribestar, donate via PayPal, or donate via Venmo, Cash App, Bitcoin, or P.O. Box. Our sincere thanks to all of you who have stood with us to get this far. Please don't forget to share the links and pray for the country as well as our family. Yes, and you can go to thedavidnightshow.com to get some amazing products now. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, I uh, went on and bought a mug, but the Knight family was generous enough to send me a bunch of other goodies, and it makes me want to buy more. (laughs) Let's see if we can pull up thedavidnightshow.com. I know I have it. Uh, Went through a lot of research this morning. I'm looking forward to having Donald Jeffries on as well. And you can see my wife, Melissa, in the background there. <laughs> she's she's taking care of my dog, Beans. Uh, Beans is here, my co-host, uh, co-pilot, co-host, uh, security. Uh, she's here to uh, keep us safe from woodland creatures, intruders, and uh, any bad vibes. That's why I keep Beans around. She's a real guru for that. Let's go to thedavidnightshow.com. If you haven't been in a while, uh, lots of new stuff. The site looks great. And, uh, yeah, making sense common again, I got to start using more of the, the phrases for David's show. I used to do that better when, um, I hosted on Infowars. I would always try to, when we brought the show back in, but I, I find when I'm hosting from my own studio, I take less breaks. Uh, he's got the, the gauge up there. So you can support David Knight by going to the David and getting some great products. You can donate directly. Of course, we'll talk about David Knight.gold as well. And, uh, that has to do with, uh, well, you know, David talks about the economy. We talk about the economy If people come into my shop. I'm in the gold and silver business here in Branson, Missouri. People always ask me about, you know, what's, where's gold going to go? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know where the dollar's going. <laughs> I don't know. I, it's so manipulated. The same thing with silver. Um, what, what should it be? Uh, what's the real price of silver? I don't know. I, you know, I'll give people a little rundown every once in a while and say, okay, so, you know, gold is, and we'll check, check spot here in a minute, but let's say gold, $1,700 an ounce, right? If you go through uh, the history of the gold silver ratio, which is always an interesting subject, even the ancient Egyptians had it one to one for a while. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but usually it's about 10 to one. Uh, our founding fathers and uh, the most other nations at the time of the founding of the United States put silver about 16 to 1. So let's divide 1,700 by 16. That's $106. Okay, that's 16 to 1. And that seems about reasonable. I mean, I think gold is way undervalued. Um, that doesn't mean you, you should go buy it. I'm not giving you investment advice because I don't think the dollar is what – what we're actually seeing is its purchasing power is not what it actually is. Uh, there's just a lot of the geopolitical realities surrounding the Ponzi scheme make it to where it doesn't go into hyperinflation. But what is it today? Let's take that seventeen hundred. Uh, let's divide that by nineteen dollars. Uh, it's ninety or eighty nine point four seven. You think that's off? See, I think that's off, and that doesn't make any sense. Because you're talking about all of history up until the last uh, 70 years. And then what happened in the last 70 years? What really rolled out? Fiat currency. Fiat currency is in central banking and the control of the money supply by these same central banks. And then they all kind of flow back up to each other. A lot of people don't know that uh, during the 1930s, 1933, when Franklin Roosevelt signed the executive order, at least presidents of the executive orders, but he signed the executive order 
um, making it illegal for you to own gold, the anti-gold hoarding whatever thing that he signed. I've read it a couple of times. Well, really, you know, if a lot of people said, um, we're not going to do that. So thank you, but no, and they kept it. Uh, but a lot of people turned it in and this Federal Reserve would give you a certificate. So here's $20 for your one, your one ounce of gold. And, uh, you know, that happened for a while. All that gold was loaded up. Where did it go? And why did they do that? Well, that's because the Fed and the central banks had engineered the stock market crash, just like they did in 1907. That was the, you know, the, uh, the event that was supposed to get them enough political capital to get the Federal Reserve in the first place. But they, I mean, you can watch, David talks about this too on the, It's a Wonderful Life. There's so much, the allegory there for the Fed and all that, just even the Christmas thing, all of it, it's all built into the It's a Wonderful Life. But the Fed did that. You know, the Federal Reserve, you know, and, uh, I think Buchanan, Pat Buchanan wrote in his book, uh, Suicide of a Superpower, it always stuck out with me about um, the Smoot-Hawley Act. Does anybody remember that? The Smoot-Hawley Act was uh, uh, put on uh, after the crash in 29 uh, to protect American home markets to make sure that we didn't lose any more uh, manufacturing foothold. So there was a big tariff. It was a tariff put on, for, and it was called Smoot-Hawley. And if you look at a movie like Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Ben Stein, uh, he's talking about that, you know, when he's really boring. Does anybody know what caused the Great Depression? And it was Smoot Hawley. And uh, Buchanan said, you know, the Federal Reserve caused the uh, the crash and the Great Depression and Smoot and Hawley were framed. So that gold went somewhere. Well, that gold went to the Bank of International Settlements. That's where it went. Right. This is just an international banksters plan. That's what happened. I mean, FDR was a puppet. He said, you know, if anything happens in politics, you can bet it was planned. Yeah, he knows that he's an insider. And he said, turn in your gold. I had a customer come in uh, some months ago. Might have been a year. And they said, hey, uh, I found this coin. They were clearing out a house that was built in the you know earliest 20th century and uh, would have certainly been around in the 30s. I found this coin wrapped in a newspaper uh, in the wall. And I said, let me see it. And it was a, a two and a half dollar gold Indian, really pretty coin uh, from 1925. And it was still wrapped in an old newspaper from the 30s. And I thought, well, that's really cool. I got to buy that. Uh, but that's, again, that's what people did. You know, they either turned them in or you just hid it from the government. Of course, if you were a dentist or a jeweler, there was still gold. But the goal of that was to take, it's like Gresham, the, the thing called Gresham's law, where, you know, the Gresham's law states that bad money drives good money out. So when they were able to place, uh, you know, the, the dollar itself above gold somehow and take the physical gold out of the equation, it allows them to expand the money supply. And so gold was $20 an ounce in 1933. And then Franklin Roosevelt, once he got all the gold, he raised the spot price. That's <laughs> that's uh that's one way to do it. That's uh one way to you know. And was it Harry Hopkins uh was always with him, which was a, a banker's agent. Harry Hopkins always in the I lived in the White House. Same thing happened to FDR or uh, to Wilson. Wilson had uh, Colonel Mandel House, who lived in the White House, who worked for the bankers. Like <laughs> they always plank, place a, a a banker's representative with these people, and uh, that's what they did. They carried out the Again, this was just to remake society. So let's dive into a little bit of 
uh, more financial news on this front. I wanted to bring up a new bill that had been introduced. Uh, this is on Kitco. They also had the same article over on uh, the New American. And I like Kitco, but it's my competition, but uh, they have good articles. They, uh, they link to a lot of good things. A new bill introduced to bring the U.S. back to the gold standard to control government spending and inflation. One American politician proposes bringing stability back to the U.S. economy and its currency by introducing a new gold standard. Last week, U.S. House Representative Alex Mooney introduced the Gold Standard Restoration Act. The bill looks to peg the U.S. dollar to gold to address the growing inflation threat, massive deficit spending, and instability within the U.S. monetary system. Quote, the gold standard would protect against Washington's irresponsible spending habits and the creation of money out of thin air, said Rep. Mooney. Well, I don't really have a problem with this kind of, you know, these kind of movements. But uh, after reflection, after seeing, we have, look, we, the gold standard itself isn't exactly what I'm looking for. And you go back to 1944, Breton Woods. Uh, you look at what happened uh, when the it was the, that was the what you would call the liberal world order, right? The financial system, the IMF was set up, right? Gold was pegged at thirty five dollars an ounce. The dollar was to be the world's reserve currency, but you couldn't legally own gold in the U.S. So that's a, there's a problem there. There's there's a discrepancy. So gold wasn't in the money supply. It was only, you know, in theory, really. And, it, you know, if you were a foreign nation, you could go and trade in your your dollars that were collected in your system and get gold at the gold window. That was until 1971. But the other nations knew, you know, around 1965, when we took the silver out of our coinage, you know, that's what empires do when they overstretch, overspend. Uh, they start to debase their currency. You got to increase the money supply uh, off of that, you know, dollar as good as gold. So my question to a lot of the gold people that want to push the U.S. into a gold standard, I would tell you we already have one. What you don't need is a dollar. What's the use for it? We can do, we have the technology to do our own currencies. We have Bitcoin. We have other stable coins and things. We have a gold standard itself. I think the, the private sector can do much better at, well, currency. I mean, would... I mean, the track record of our of our so-called leaders, has it been all that positive in the uh, the monetary front? Have they not tanked civilization? Have they not brought us to the brink of Armageddon and corruption like we've never seen based off of their flawed Luciferian bankster note system? Right? We don't need them. That's the thing. Uh, I think if you had a gold standard, does that mean you got to turn in your gold? I don't know. I don't need them. I just think that... Um, you know, if you're going to do it without messing with my gold, then that's fine. But I don't want your dollars that you say are backed by gold because you'll debase it again. The system, re it restarts itself. There's what, people don't realize there was no inflation in the 19th century. It didn't exist. Uh, we had a gold standard. The whole world, most of the modern world was tied to it. There was no inflation. As a matter of fact, there was deflation, and that's why you have William Jennings Bryan and the uh, free silver and the cross of gold speech. And they wanted to free up the money supply and put silver into the system, you know, making more silver dollars to uh, take the burden so, so much off the, the farmer who was in debt. You know, they could pay off their bills easier. They wanted free silver. And that's 
where you get the allegory of uh, the Wizard of Oz. You know, the Cowardly Lion is William Jennings Bryan, and the Yellow Brick Road is gold, and uh, the Emerald Palace is the Greenback. And in the book by L. Frank Baum, uh, Dorothy clicks her silver slippers. The article goes on, prices would be shaped by economics rather than the instincts of bureaucrats. No longer would our economy be at the mercy of the Federal Reserve and reckless Washington spenders. Well, that's true. Um, but again, you know, the, until and this is I think he's addressing a, a fundamental problem with our politics. Doesn't matter if there's a red wave or a blue wave or whatever wave. If you don't fix the fact that we have a system of the bankers for the bankers by the bankers and that the people that control the money supply, like, you know, mayor Amsterdam Rothschild said back in the 19th centuries, I care not who sits on the throne of England. I care about the person who controls England is the person who controls the money supply and I control the money supply. I kind of butchered that a little bit, but that's the, you get the gist of it. The bill noted that the dollar referred to the, Federal Reserve note, right? It has lost more than 30% of its purchasing power since 2000. At the same time, the U.S. has lost 90% of its purchasing power since the Federal Reserve Act was passed in Congress in 1913. I used, to, I did have a prop out here, but I showed David a. There used to be a, the the coinage uh, in circulation used to have gold dollars, and I'm like, if you want to a visual representation of the loss of purchasing power of a dollar. Look at an 1850-some-odd gold dollar, and you will see a tiny little coin. looks like a dime. If you melt it, you get about $100 worth of gold. It's worth about $200 today in coinage, but you can see in real time that's exactly right. And gold is undervalued, so who really really knows what it is? Uh, But that that loss of purchasing power, and even the 30% loss of purchasing power since 2000, what happened in 2000? What happened? Go back to September of 2000. You have the, uh, the document, uh, Project for a New American Century. You have their um, calling for a, well, not really calling, but saying that they needed, it's, it's wink, wink, right? They needed a, a catastrophic and catalyzing event a new Pearl Harbor to get there. Was it uh, seven countries in five years? Uh, think the, the, the Middle Eastern chaos uh, operation that they wanted post nine 11. And you see that going on. And so I'm just looking at the debt though. What happened? Look at the debt of the United States in the year 2000. It was $5 trillion. So the debt of the U S was $5 trillion in 2000. And again, that's why I'm bringing up the war on terror, but you go back to, so 1776 to the year 2000 to get to 5 trillion. But when we are in 2010, what's the debt of the U S oh, it's 10 trillion. And then by the time Trump takes office and into going into 2020, uh, after into his third year, it's 30 trillion, <laughs> you know, it's 20 trillion. Uh, the time Trump takes office now it's 30 trillion. I mean, again, the massive acceleration in the debt system itself. That is what is destroying the dollar. That's what's destroying our economy. We can't get out of the hole because in order, this, the federal reserve system is, is so such evil genius. 
and then first of all they use the great language right you know they call it uh it's it's federal right which it's not and it's a reserve which there's no reserves i mean it's brilliant right because american the american psyche uh hated the the most people detested the bank like the the central banks or the national bank i mean the great populist hero andrew jackson he wanted i killed the bank on his tombstone he got rid of the the second bank of the united states in 1836 is one of his great accomplishments he called him a a den of vipers and thieves, right? So again, they they use this language. They use um, their skill, right, to do that. But in order to pay the debt of the U.S., you'd have to create more currency in the in the current system. It's a snake eating itself. It can't. You can't get rid of it. It been because again, we're going to talk here in a second. Um, and I'll probably open up the phone lines here uh, any minute now. But there's something going on with people using credit cards. We'll talk about that in a second. Everything is our society is based on debt. It's the creation. We're addicted to it, right? This is, um, you know, a, a society completely in a, in a, a political establishment, completely addicted and reliant on the creation of debt, all of it. So let's, yeah, let's look at that. I want to, I want to explain something because this has always blown my mind. If you listen to, somebody like Robert Kiyosaki. And look, I hope the bill for the gold standard goes okay. Uh, obviously, you know, has no chance, but people ought to introduce that. We ought to have the conversation. I think it's much better on the state level. I, think you're ha- I mean, what you ought to do is continue to push to make sure that people can legally own gold, right? It was uh, Gerald Ford who made that possible. You know, this was interesting at the exact same time, Gerald Ford made it in through an executive order, made it legal for you to own gold. They instituted all these other financial products as well. They knew what was happening. You couldn't save anymore. Right. They had the 401ks, IRAs, all the all the retirement packages, all the stuff, stuff that people in the 1970s and 60s. And there wasn't commercials on finance and all that stuff. You just you know, you bought a home, you saved you. Your dollar was going to be worth the same 10 years later. Again, it's not. You can't have that society when you're in fiat. All right, let's go and let's see if I can find that article. It's raining here at the wisewolfgoldandsilver.com studios. Coming down pretty bad, so Beans the Brave uh, is uh, making sure I'm safe by being under my desk. So if you hear, if you hear Beans or you hear the rain outside, that's what she's doing. Let's see if I can find that. This is one of those one of those deals when you get an article and put it up and I have so many tabs open. Let me see. Well, I might have to go, but it's basically a, a take on the amount of credit cards being used to adjust for inflation. Let's find this thing. I know I had it on here, but yeah, we're going to open up the phone lines here in a second as well. Uh, matter of fact, if you want to call in, it's 888-770-1776. Uh, and be sure and state your name and where you're calling from. That's 888-770-1776. I don't, I don't think David covered this yesterday. This article came out after. I also want to talk about Tulsi Gabbard as well. Oh, let's see if I can find it. That's, uh, that's the thing about live radio, ladies and gents. You never know. It must have got, must have got taken off my open articles list. Well, I might come back to it maybe after, uh, we get a couple of calls. All right. Um, let's talk about Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, this is something 
uh, my friend, Mr. Anderson sent me yesterday, uh, one of my researchers and really good friends. Uh, he said, did you see about Tulsi? And, uh, I have mixed feelings on Tulsi Gabbard. She is a member of the council on foreign relations, but at some level, you know, if she's talking about, uh, the psychopaths and their lust for war. Okay. You know, uh, you know, continue. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm skeptical of people on all levels now, and especially people that are rolled out. But um, I like what she has to say on many fronts, and she's an Iraq war veteran. Um, but it is interesting to see. It says, while not entirely surprising, the reasons for the that the former Democratic candidate for president, Tulsi Gabbard, reveals her decision to leave the Democratic Party should raise questions in all but most of liberal leftists, right? Hold on a sec. We're going to get a call. I got to stand this, stand this by. All right. One second. Uh, says I can no longer remain in today's democratic party. It's now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by radicalizing every issue to stoke anti-white racism. And they actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms, are hostile to the people of faith and spirituality, demonize the police and protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, believe in open borders, weaponize the national security state to go after political opponents, and above all, dragging us into an ever closer nuclear war. I believe in a government that it is of and by and for the people. Unfortunately, today's Democratic Party does not. Instead, it stands for government of, by, and for the powerful elite, I'm calling on my fellow common sense, independent minded Democrats to join me in leaving the Democratic Party. Well, I think this is great. Uh, I don't like the two party system at all. I would love to see a mass exodus of, of pretty much both parties. I think we can do without them. I think we can uh, survive without the duopoly. Um, and I swear, folks, I, I have opted out of every Republican Party call list that I possibly can. They, they, I've in my phone, I literally have blocked them probably close to 80 times. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, it's almost every day I block that number, but they find a new number to call me from. They, they are relentless. They love those donations. And, uh, you know, that stopped the steal money. Um, that quarter of a billion that Trump and the RNC guy, I noticed it didn't go to stop the steal and it didn't go to the lawyers to help the January 6th prisoners. So, you know, I, I don't know how many times I can tell the RNC, I'm not going to ever give you money again, and please take me off your list, but they keep going. Uh, we've got a caller on the line. Let me see if I can, uh, again, live radio and adjusting it all myself. We'll see if we can throw them up. All right, caller, welcome to the David Knight Show. You're on. Caller, do we do we have you live? You're on yes, the David Knight Show. Yes, hi. My name is John. Hey, John. Where are you from? How you doing? Yeah, where are you um, from, John? I'm calling from uh, Syracuse, New York. Awesome. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you? Um, I'd just like uh, you to tell the audience a little bit of why the 10-year yield is so important to look at as far as the strength or um, how bad the economy is doing and why it's not so much the two-year yield or the 30-year yield. And... Um, I guess my follow-up question to that is, can't these central banks, the, the IMF, European central banks, can't they just keep on buying the debt? And if they don't buy the debt, what would be the reason why they just would let it collapse? 
Um, cause I guess, you know, a lot of people talk about, they look at the stock market, they look at, you know, different things like that, but all the stock market is, is a derivative of how the 10 year yield is doing. And what people need to look at is the 10 year yield. Um, so I just, I just, you know, um, maybe, maybe talk a little bit about why, why that 10 year yield is so important with the economy and. You know, I guess my question, my main question that I'm is, is kind of like the elephant in the room for me is, you know, they're talking about, you know, there might be a credit freeze with with the Bank of England um, saying by Friday they're going to stop buying bonds. But I don't know. I just part of me thinks, yeah, this collapse might happen in a month, but it might be another eight years where they keep buying the buying the debt. So. um you know, I appreciate I appreciate you filling in for David. I uh, I went down to Kingston, New York last year uh, with the Gerald Salenti um, Peace Occupy Peace Movement, and uh, gave David some money. And you know, Kingston's about three hours from my house, and so um, you know, I just I, I I support you and and everybody that's that's focused in on. Um, you know, this, this, this freedom movement. And as far as the well, Tulsi Gabbard that. thing, um, she, uh, you know, whether she's a Republican or a Democrat, you know, the, the elephant in the room is she's still a member of the world economic forum. Right. You know, That's what I was, I was in like, the, and the council on foreign relations. So it's kind of like, well, I, I mean, you, I, I like your rhetoric. Uh, I don't want, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at. I mean, I, again, we, we're, we're in such bad shape that we, We'll take just about anybody who's standing up against the uh, the 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 narrative that's leading us into uh, Armageddon. So I, I'm I'm open to that. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm always skeptical. I mean, and a lot of Republicans are too. I mean, the, you know, Dan Crenshaw and down in Texas in the second congressional district is part of the World Economic Forum. But I'll, I'll take your question. Uh, I'll let you go, and and I'll talk a little bit about what you asked, and uh, and then we'll get another call. But I appreciate you calling in. Thanks a lot. Thanks, my friend. Well, that's a good call, uh, and that's a great question. And I'll give you the the most humble, simple answer that I can. Uh, I don't watch that stuff so much, and the reason that I don't is because it's all fake. And I know that that sounds uh, simplified, and I'm just being honest. Uh, you talk about ten you year know, yields or two year yields, and uh, the central banks and how much debt they're buying, and all I can think is. What's Herbert Stein's law? That old joke, the guy that wrote for Nixon, uh, Buchanan always joked about it. But Herbert Stein uh, had this, they joked about it because it was a law that he wrote. It was like, if something cannot go on forever, it will stop. <laughs> so to me, a lot of times reading the markets is like reading Klingon. Like you can understand it. It's uh, its its own language, I guess. It's pretty much made up. Um, I mean, look at the, the companies. You're talking about the strength of the stock market. Um, what does that even mean anymore? You have uh, companies that are literal zombies. They don't make a profit. This isn't your grandfather's stock market. You know, you talk about somebody like Warren Buffett who read Benjamin Graham, uh, you know, sound investing and taking your stocks and buying so much and, you know, having all, a, you can't do that anymore because it's not based off of production. It's based off of ESG. That's why everything, every part of our market is fake. You know, you, you know, Trump having the uh, uh, BlackRock pretty much take over the Fed in so many ways. 
And what is BlackRock and Larry Fink and all these guys? It's ESG, environmental social governance. And, oh, a shock to the system. Can't believe it. The world's richest people are funding communism. It can't be. You know, it's like we're just living uh, in a cycle of the same things over and over again. You know, you go back to the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917. Who's funding the Soviets? Who's funding the the communists? Right. Who funds Mao's China uh, in 49? The world's richest people. Right. The financiers. So, again, uh, I don't I, I think that What's really going to decide all of this, what's the rubber meeting the road, is how I open the show. And that's the BRICS nations. What you need to watch is not so much the, in my opinion, again, I'm not an expert. I'm just a gold and silver guy. I'm an old paratrooper who likes books. That's it. I don't have uh, any real insight other than that's what I see every day. But what you're watching is you're seeing a global shakeup like never. This is like, again, this is the fourth turning. So you're seeing a major shift in what we perceive as geopolitical, sociological reality. And this is the the BRICS nations. If you add up all of their ancillary and satellites and people they want to bring in, it's a 90% of the Earth's population. That's not going to bode well for our hegemonic system of dominance with the petrodollar. It's just not. So all of our markets are tied to that. And they're tied to companies that are woke. And they're tied to ESG. And they're tied to BlackRock. Uh, that's not good. So the, uh, the yield curves and the bonds and all that, that might be, uh, the caller probably knows more than I do on that. Um, I just stick to gold and silver is my business profitable. Uh, I'm skeptical and, uh, cynical and I oppose, uh, the head of the snake, uh, which is fiat currency. All right. Let's see. We've got, uh, let's see if we've got more callers on the, I don't know if I'd, had that caller. Let me hang up on that one. If you want to call in, it's 888-770-1776. We're taking calls for the rest of this hour. And then we've got Don Jeffries in the third hour, the legend. Uh, I'll always love to talk to my friend, Don Jeffries. Uh, he's the author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, uh, on borrowed fame. He's got a new book coming out. Uh, I can't wait to read it. Hidden History 3, but we'll talk to him. I think there's a more specific title. And I was looking around while we were on the phone, uh, while I was on that call looking for the uh, that article on credit cards. I will find it because it's a good one. All right, we've got, a, we've got a call coming in. Let's see if we can get this one on the line. All right, call, the, uh, caller, you're on with the... You're going to want to turn down your radio. Okay, it's turned down. Okay. Welcome to the David Knight Show. What's your name? Where are you calling from? My name is Ray. I'm yes, calling sir. from Waterloo, Iowa. Okay. What's on your mind, Ray? Well, I just love to talk to Tony and I uh, love David Knight. Been listening to him forever and just want, I have a couple of questions about uh, gold, silver, and some other things. Fire away, my friend. Super cool. Go ahead. Oh, is this. Is this Tony? This is Tony. You're live on air on the David Knight show. Ask me questions. Wow. Super honored to talk to you, Tony. Well, thank you. Well, you know, uh, I've been collecting uh, gold and silver for many years. And, you know, I just was really surprised. I never thought it would ever get below $25 an ounce ever again. And it's just surprising to me that they can manipulate and control this currency like this. It's just incredible. No, and 
with everything going on, it's just surprising to me that they're pushing this war with Russia. It's none of our business. We have no business over there. And I just was kind of wondering what's your thoughts on how they're able to keep gold and silver from being what it really should, considering we're in debt $31 trillion. Well, they have to. Uh, they 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 have no choice. Uh, the powers that be are in direct competition with sound money. You know, I've said on David's show the reason it's not just sound money because it's a sound uh, you know philosophy. It actually makes a sound. I mean, you, it's real. It's it's finite. They have a problem, and fiat is infinite. It's the infinite game. There's two different opposing worlds, and you know, I talked about this when I was on with David last time. You have uh, the war. The modern world was built on gold. Uh, back when, you know, Columbus discovered the quote, the new world, um, all of the gold that was in the known world at the time could fit in a six by six foot cube. And after the discovery of new world, it's massive amounts of gold. It propped up economies and, uh, you know, things were created. There was a lot, there was a huge boom. And so gold made the modern world and fiat currency is destroying it. They have to keep those prices artificially low. And gold is a is a direct competitor to the U.S. dollar, to uh, to the Federal Reserve System, to the central banking system. So everything tracks back to it. I mean, why do you why do you think we're entering? You you mentioned the the war in, in Ukraine and and you know God forbid a a hot war. I mean, I don't want this. I I, I want to be wrong. I want to be the guy who's who's a total moron when it comes to this. I hope I'm wrong, but that's what they need to save their currency. So right now you have these emerging, this new uh, world order, another world order coming up, opposing the U S and the, their hegemonic dominance of the playing field when it comes to currency. Uh, and the last thing they want right now is for gold to, to reset into its actual value. There's something wrong. I can well, tell I you guess that. My question. Well, I guess my question was, is, it doesn't seem to me feasible. I don't see how they're able to. I don't see how they're able to control it that closely. They can because what they have is they. Um, I think it's Stuart Angle did a book, uh, and I've got. To, I've, I've read it. It's called Rigged. I'm going to try to get him on the show, but he's been trying for years with his foundation to expose and get the accounting with the, between the central banks and the bullion houses and how they're running this scam. And the scam is, you have, and I'll give you an example. Back in February of 2000 or 2021, uh, there was a big push to buy physical silver through Reddit. There's the same people that did the Wall Street bets and all that. And there's a big push to buy silver. And I'll never forget because it happened on a Sunday night and my phone started ringing in my cabin, like, you know, ready people ready to buy silver. And they bought up silver everywhere. I mean, you know, everything I had was completely liquidated. People just coming in here, people calling, locking in trades. I, I tried to start locking in things with the trading floor just to anticipate more sales. Nobody had any silver. People were buying silver eagles for like $50. I mean, it was just insane. However, you know what happened the next day? The price went down in silver. Now, how does that happen? How do you just basic economics if you can't find it? So, what you're seeing right now is they take these contracts and they sell them off. They'll say, well, we liquidated so much silver. And I, I'm making this really simplified, but I'll give you this. Go back to that February when it, when the price went down, they sold off 1.5 times the annual supply of silver in one day to keep that down. Wow. 
Okay. So that's what's happening. I mean, so right now, if, if gold was to, you know, reset and have its and start showing its true colors and true value, which I don't know what that number is. I'm not telling you go out and buy it. But what I'm saying is if it did that, right, how would that, would that help Russia? Who's taking gold uh, in exchange and in turning yuan into to gold? I mean, they're, they're buying gold. Other countries are buying gold uh, and using gold as, as a means to uh, skirt sanctions. Does that help Russia? Of course it does. It also helps the BRICS nation. It helps these other emerging nations who are heavy on gold. So it's not a good idea for the powers that be to allow that to reach its actual number. I mean, I get, and I'll let you go after this, but the, the thing that I always think about is 1980 silver goes to $50 an ounce after the hunt brothers push it up, right? 50 bucks an ounce in 1980. What's 50 bucks and 80 compared to 50 to, to that today. It's like $200. So what's happening? Yeah, for right. Sure. Right. So, so and it, again, we're watching, I think we're at the, this is the eye of the storm in many ways. Like in our, I think we're just about to see it. rapid change and we're just in this calm little center. And I think we're moving towards the edge. I hope I'm wrong. It's going to hurt. I mean, when you talk about economics, you talk about loss of purchasing power. Uh, you really are um, talking about lives. And, and that's what's so sad about all this is it's going to hurt so many people. I, I don't want it to be, but that's what they're doing. But uh, I appreciate your call. Did you have anything else yeah. before, before you let me go? Yeah. I, yeah, I think that, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Well, listen, I appreciate your time. Uh, we love you guys. Um, and, uh, keep up the good work and God's blessings to you and David. Oh, God bless you, sir. Thanks for supporting David. Thanks for calling in. All right, folks. Yeah. That number, uh, for the rest of the hour, eight, 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 seven, seven, zero, seventeen seventy six. And I have every bit of technology here, except for the fact that I can't make the call waiting stop. So like, if you hear a caller on, don't call because, I can't answer the phone. Uh, so if you just wait till the next, so that get off that line, that would help because then we won't have the little beep in the background, but I, Hey, it's okay. Uh, I do what I can uh, producing my own show. <laughs> and uh, uh, again, um, we've got so much to cover today and, and Don Jeffries and I are going to talk about internet censorship. I did find that article. This is why uh, I have to be my own producer. We'll take, well, I, I will, let's do this. Let's take this call first and we'll come back to this article. Cause I want to talk to you guys about credit card uh, and currency creation. All right. Stand by. All right, caller. You're on the David Knight show. This is Tony Arterburn. How are hey, you? Tony? This is hi there. This is Ron from Kirkwood, Missouri. I do have a couple questions. Go ahead. One, if I buy gold or silver, say from you, and I give you my credit card, would not the government then know that I have gold, or do you have to keep records, even if I pay cash, that I bought gold or silver from you? Uh, I keep records of all my transactions as I'm supposed to, but uh, it's not a thing I keep for the government. I mean, the, the government wants to audit me. They can tell that I did a transaction. They have, obviously, that's in my taxes. Um, but I don't like send them a note saying, Hey, you know, <laughs> from this guy from Missouri bought some, bought some, uh, the yellow metal. I don't do that. Uh, I'm not required to, if you want to, you know, buying gold anonymously, the best way to do it is to walk in someplace or your local dealer and just pay cash. You know, if you're under the 10,000 mark, then you don't have to fill out a CTR, which is a cash transaction report. As long as you're under the 10,000 mark, you can just come in and buy gold. There's just you buying some gold. You know, uh, that's yours. That's between you and and the dealer. 
Uh, you use your credit card, obviously, you know, that's going to get tracked back to you. But I don't think that's really the issue, you know, whether you not you you own gold. A lot of people, I think when you try to like not, you know, a lot of people say, well, I want to send you this amount of money at a time or uh, I don't want to, I don't want to raise any red flags. I'm like, well, the way the way that you raise red flags is by trying to look like you're not raising. Red flags. I mean, that's really in my opinion. I just a lot of my biggest customers, I mean, they send me a wire, you know. Um, it's right there in plain sight. There's a wire from them to me in my corporate account. I wire the trading floor and they get their product. Um, but if you wanted just to stay low key, that's, that's a totally legal, legit thing, you know, and you can still do that. Gold's untraceable. You can take, go into your local shop or you can drive down here to Missouri or when I'm in Dallas at the trading floor, you can, uh, you know, you guys can plan around that. I've been doing a lot of that lately. When I go to the trading floor in Dallas, I have people, uh, meet me. And I'm able to uh, to okay. get them product. Go ahead. Okay. And the other question that I have is, if I have silver or gold, and let's just say the economy does crash, like I, I do believe it is going to, if I need food and the other person doesn't want the gold or silver, you know, to get to the food that they have, then how do I get food with the gold or silver that I do have? That is an interesting question. Um, people have been accept. I think that you wouldn't have a problem liquidating gold and trading it for food. Um, I mean, you're talking, but there's like levels of bad, you know, like you watch a, like a zombie movie where they're like using hundred dollar bills to, to, uh, like in a post-apocalyptic scenario where they're using hundred dollar bills and currency for, for kindling and stuff. Um, but gold and silver are different. They've always been money. Uh, they always will be money. They're God's money. They're finite. They're recognizable. It's part of the human story. I don't care what these banksters say. I don't care about their central bank digital currency. You can't, you can't defy history. History has its own set of rules. I don't know what all of them are, but there's a rule there. Uh, if you go back through every aspect of the human story, gold and silver play a massive part because eventually people have to use it again for a stable set, a stable currency, uh, actual money. So. I wouldn't worry about that too much. What I would worry about is um, if you're if you're wanting to barter, if you're wanting to be in a position to where you trade, you need to have smaller increments of gold and silver. Okay, that's the uh, that that's the advice I would give you. Making sure you don't have like hundred ounce bars you're trying to trade off. And if you're buying gold, you want to use gold as some of the buy fractional gold. You know, get a get a tenth ounce American Eagle or a tenth ounce Krugerrand. As a matter of fact, David Knight.gold's got some well, I think we had some deals. I have to talk to Kenzie. I think we have some deals on tenth ounce pieces, but that that gets you in the door. Um, you know, that gets us a couple of hundred bucks or two hundred and twenty bucks worth of gold. So having that and the same thing with uh fractional silver, you could do uh pre nineteen sixty five ninety percent silver, like your uh, you know, anything before 1965 and it's quarters, half dollars, dimes and dollars are 90% silver. You can use that as well. And that's a good, that's a, that's okay. my advice. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. I appreciate the call. These are some great calls today. Appreciate you calling in, sir. Thanks for the support. All right, folks. Well, that was a good call. Let's, uh, let's go over the, again, you can call in 888-770-1776 and I'll, uh, if, the next caller, I'll, I'll put you on hold if you call in. Uh, and we'll talk about this article for a second. Uh, but this is by um, Michael Mahari, who's been on uh, uh, David's show here on the David Knight show. 
uh, from Shift Gold. It says credit card debt continues to spiral higher as consumers struggle with rising prices and depleted savings. In August, revolving credit increased by a staggering 18.1% as total consumer debt surged to a record $4.68 trillion, according to the latest consumer credit data from the Federal Reserve. Total consumer debt increased by $32.3 billion in August, an 8.3% increase on a total annual basis. That was well above the $24 billion projection. In July, it appeared debt growth was cooling slightly, but the August data showed a big jump from July's 6.8% increase. Americans are burning up their plastic in order to make ends meet in these inflationary times. And we got a caller, so stand by. I want to read a little bit more of this, and I'll jump on the call. But you guys see what's happening here. Like this, this is the the beginning stage when people start to trade. Uh, they start to make sure that everything's covered by using debt. And this is a this is the vicious bad cycle. This is like leading up to. Um, and this is kind of a reverse leveraging, you know, the stock market crash in 29, there was a lot of people who could get stocks on what they call margin call. You know, you could use credit lines, you could buy stocks on credit, uh, and you know, eventually you could cash in. It was a, the go-go system kind of like the, in the eighties, but uh, much more magnified and people were able to do that. And then there was margin call. And then there was the, oh, you need to, uh, you know, belly up to the counter and pay, you know, we you lost, you lost this stock and now we got margin call. Uh, it's, you know, massive uh, depletions in the price of that stock and people couldn't do it. This on the other hand is even worse because you got people that are leveraging themselves uh, not for stocks, but just everyday use of everything. And this is bleeding into our culture. And the reason I wanted to bring this up and something I learned from Robert Kiyosaki who wrote rich dad, poor dad, when you swipe a credit card, that's currency creation. It's like magic, right? It's funny. The banks anymore, you, know, you used to have, you know, even a fractional reserve banking, you had, you know, a certain amount of deposits. It's called specie. You set it up and you'd have a certain amount of backdrop and reserves and you could loan against that. And the more depositors, the more loans you could give. They don't do that anymore. From the way I understand it, the banks, the major banks and the credit card companies are so tied to the central bank that they actually create currency. It's like your home loan. Did somebody move that from a reserve system? Like we have this much on our balance sheet. No, literally is new currency creation. Same thing with your credit card. So we're creating new currency to pay for the increase in price from new currency. (laughs) That's why I wanted to bring this article up. You see where it's snake eating its tail again. And there's very, there's something very serpent light uh, uh, like about all of this. Meanwhile, average credit card interest rates have eclipsed the record high of 17.8% set in April 2019. The average percentage rate APR currently stands at 18.45%. That's up from 18.03 just a month ago. So they're enjoying this. This is a windfall for the global elite. This is the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. Oh, and the evil genius of credit card fees. You know, when somebody, you know, I was asked earlier, if I pay for my gold and silver with a credit card, well, you can. I'm going to charge you an extra 3%, though, because they charge me 3%. A 
lot of times it is passed on the consumer. You just don't notice it. Well, if you go to the pump, gas is $4 a gallon, right? Well, what does that mean? How, how much is the credit card making? How much is the credit card company making? Oh, they're making about uh, 12 cents a gallon. How do you like that? They're making 3%. <laughs> they're making about 12 cents a gallon uh, on, on four buck gasoline. And uh, they have no investment, no infrastructure, but they're making more than the actual gasoline retailer. <laughs> Evil genius. Really good stuff. Um, if it wasn't so tragic. But that's why I wanted to talk about that. Again, the uh, and I had a caller on the line. We'll see if we can go to that. Uh, caller, welcome to the David Knight Show. You're on live. Hello, Tony. Yes, this is Tony. Go ahead. Hey, Tony, this is John 149 from Rockman Chat. How are John you, 149, how are you, my friend? I'm good. I live up in the mountains of Western North Carolina. You know that. Okay, absolutely. But, uh, I wanted to ask you a personal question, sir. Go ahead. Since since you were in the service, and many people still are, how would you feel about being in the service right now with a bumbling idiot for a president that we have? Uh, that is my question, and I want to thank you very much, and have a great show. Well, thank you. That's a that's a great question. Um, I got asked that question on a podcast the other day. I'll let you go, John. I got asked that question on a podcast the other day about uh, would you tell a young man to join the military? And I said, no. As a matter of fact, my son is 17. He's uh, an athletic kid. He's in great shape. He's, you know, he's a champion wrestler, and he wants to be a Marine. And the old man says, son, don't do that. He doesn't listen to me. He's, he's, he's determined to do something. I hope he, you know, God talks to him and touches his heart and tells him not to do that. The reason I say that is because you are signing up to fight a possible world war three, uh, with a woke military with, you know, run by pedophiles and, uh, the, the political structure. I mean, that's really, you want to get down to brass tacks. That's what it is. It's harsh to say. But there, there is no external foreign policy threat to this country. And I've served in three foreign wars. I've studied foreign policy in my entire life. I'm not an expert. I'm just saying I study it. I don't see the threat. So why the military? Why the empire? Why all of that? We, we don't take any of the threats that they perceive to tell us any seriously. We don't have a border after 9-11. We didn't secure the border. Right. We don't, they talked about the, you know, Dick Cheney talked about the 1% doctrine and what about suitcase nukes and all that stuff? They didn't care. They didn't shut the border down. They increased immigration from all the places that they said, you know, the terrorists came from. They actually just opened it up like never before seen, you know, like, and I always said, hey, if this was the 50s and or 60s and a group of Soviet radicals had taken over, you know, hijacked aircraft and flown it into buildings or whatever. And, uh, you know, attack the United States from within, there wouldn't have been any immigration from Russia for a hundred years, <laughs> but that's not what would happen, right? We just increased everything. So th everything that they talk about is false, right? And it's a hard pill to swallow. A lot of vets can't, I mean, my heart goes out to them. I'm able to somehow, you know, connect the two things, like make it work where I'm proud of my service with other, the warrior class, but I also detest the military industrial complex and everything that it stands for. Because if we're really serious about protecting this country, we'd have, well, we'd have a border, not a new world order. We'd bring the troops home. We'd stop engaging in uh, inflammatory, dangerous games 
uh, and again, I don't, I don't know if it's a game. I hope it's a game uh, with the Russians and the Chinese and all that. We would be looking at establishing a republic, not an empire. If you really had used the military for what it's for, it'd be defending our our shores, our border, and not some multinationalist, you know, dystopic view of the future competing for who runs uh, the clock, the, the top down the totalitarian one world socialist government. All right, stand by. We got another caller. All right, caller, welcome to the David Knight Show. This is Tony Arterburn. Go ahead. Oh, looks like we, uh, let's see if we can bring that in. Caller, welcome to the David Knight Show. Go ahead. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to call back on that one. The connection wasn't good. <laughs> That's what happens when you run the show yourself, ladies and gentlemen. But yeah, that's that's the hard truth. Um, I wouldn't want a servant. I mean, what are you fighting for? What are, what are you doing? I mean, people all the time thank me for my service, and I really appreciate the kindness. But it makes me feel weird because, you know, uh, how le- how much freedom have we lost since I joined the military? A ton. How much has the the landscape and the fabric of our society been ripped apart since I served this country? Uh, it's been decimated. Uh, so at what end? What is it worth? You know. What was the point? Uh, what, did, what did I do? I didn't help because if I was fighting for your freedom, you'd be free, right? We'll try to this one more time on this call. All right, caller, welcome to the David Knight Show. You're on with Tony Arterburn. Go ahead. Hey, Tony. Uh, good morning. Um, speaking on transfer of wealth, um, I think David on one of his shows earlier this week was talking about Congress um, approving aid to Ukraine until 2029, maybe via NATO, but, you know, they're trying to make us afraid of nuclear war and I guess in attempts to get us to support, you know, the narrative to help Ukraine. But this is intended to go on for a really long time. And it's like we're just transferring wealth outside of Western countries while they're collapsing. Right. Does that not, does that not, you know, does not anyone else see that? This is intended to go on. <laughs> oh, for a I long think people time. see just, it. But while we're collapsing, you know, they're moving money somewhere else. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, what did Thomas Jefferson say? Uh, uh, merchants have no country. You know, the very spot of ground which they stand upon means nothing to them. It's like, it's just transitory. You know, Dr- Jerome Powell said that inflation was transitory. No, inflation is permanent. Politics are transitory. And so are the companies. Like the multinationals are transitory and transatlantic and all that transnational. So, I mean, they, they'll go anywhere. And uh, the United States, I mean, you look, it's not the future. I'm sorry. It could have been. It should have been. Uh, but look at our infrastructure. Look at our airports, our roads, our bridges, our political structure, like the system, the rule of law. I mean, everything has been under attack by, uh, in my opinion, by design. So you look at what's happening. Oh, and yeah. People and are like just jumping shit. On it. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely on purpose. Definitely by design. I don't know how, how everyone doesn't see it. What was your name caller? I didn't get that at the beginning. I'm sorry. It's Christy. Okay, Christy. Have you called before? Never. Okay. Well, it's a smart question. Uh, you know, and again, I, I think people, I think there's a lot of people that do see it. I mean, the, the, the mainstream, I watched, I, I can't, I used to leave uh, financial networks on in my shop. And then I was like, what am I even watching? And what are they even talking about? Like it's two different realities. Uh, but yeah, you see the, there's people are, are betting. And this was the bet that was made, uh, 
back in the seventies, you know, by the, the trilateralist and Zygmunt Brzezinski and all the, those folks who uh, were going to create the Asian century. Um, but the, you know, the United States was just targeted for dismantling. I mean, we're being, uh, my friend, Charlie Robinson, we'll try to get him on the show this week. I need to reach out to him, but he wrote the book, the controlled demolition of the American empire. And it's literally being like the American empire is building seven. It's just loaded and the chargers are ready and they're just getting it ready to bring it down nice into its own footprint. That's what it looks like to me. Doesn't what, what does it look like to you? Exactly. Unfortunately, everyone in my intimate circle doesn't see it. Um, only, you know, only people like you and, you know, other podcasts that I listen to, but no one in my immediate circle seems to, to see it. And, you know, sometimes I even wonder if, you know, if, if this really is entirely a global thing, I mean, including with Russia, just that Russia was, is being set up to be the ultimate winner in this extended, you know, this extended drama. And in the end, it's just going to be, you know, the, the one world government. Yeah, it just seems like there's there's uh, factions fighting each other. I mean, I, I don't think that we get be getting this close to pushing Russia into uh, having to fight for national survival if there wasn't something on the line for whatever faction of elites control Joe Biden, right? I, or or this administration or this foreign policy. Uh, I hope I'm wrong, but it looks to me like there are competing factions for who's going to control and dominate the globalist system. And the U.S., I don't know. It's a it, it it really does boggle the mind. Like you know, you're are you going to use war to save your currency and your system, or do you want to use war for the Great Reset? Is this is this a ruse? Is this a? I mean, because we all know that they have planned austerity. We all know that that's what the Great Reset's all about. You know, you, again, that was comes the the phrase "You'll own nothing and you'll be happy" actually came from an article that was uh, something that my friend Billy Ray Valentine pointed out. Uh, and it was some that was like a thought experiment, but that's really what it you know it boils down to is it creating that that sustainable society, quote unquote sustainable that they want to build. It has to do with making sure that you really are poor and that you're dependent on the government and that you're depending on the system. You have to destroy uh, to build back better. You have to destroy this current system. Maybe they're using all the backdrops of the geopolitical tensions as a way to do that. I do not know, uh, but. <laughs> I just know I just know that uh I believe in Jesus Christ and uh and God Almighty and I'm gonna be judged someday. So I wanna make sure that I'm not I'm not backing anything or uh supporting any kind of system that's anti human or anti Christian or anti God. And uh certainly it seems pretty much everything yeah, around absolutely. the world is so and, and build back better, not only was that um I forgot where else it came from, but speaking of the occult, um I, I don't know the demon's name, but I think it's Baphomet. Mm-hmm. He's, his mantra is salve et coagula, dissolve and recongeal, build oh. back better, destroy and rebuild. That's interesting because I had this whole thing with bees. Like when I do my show, I do the, when I usually, when I introduce my show, about every once every month, I'll do the whole like, uh, we're <laughs> the build back better, Biden, Beals, Bub, Baphomet, Bilderberg, Bankster Bunch, you know, like I'll do the whole thing because <laughs> it's all bees. I don't know why that is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, Baphomet uh, is, you know, that's the, the statue and the Satanists. I want to roll out the, the statue of Baphomet and he's the, uh, it's kind of gender fluid and he's, you know, 
I don't know. He's doing his little right. thing. I, I think I think it's that one. I think it's that one. But if you Google his picture, you know, he's got the goat head. And on right. his arm, it says salve et coagula, Latin for, you know, dissolve and, and recongeal, destroy and build back. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. I always learn something from the from all the David Knight callers. I always leave a smarter man. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to uh, keep the phone lines open. Did you have anything else you want to leave me with I can answer off uh, off the call? No, no, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for even giving me the opportunity to call in. I don't I don't usually call in to shows. But we'll have at least one more call in time while I'm here. And then we'll uh, Garden, I think Guard will be here tomorrow. I'm going to produce for Guard. I'll be in the backdrop. Uh hopefully Guard will call in today. We talked yesterday. He was uh, kind of under the weather. Uh but uh, uh hopefully he'll be live tomorrow. So uh, call back in. We'll have more of these. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, folks, we got, got good calls coming in, smart calls. I learned something. I ought to look up that whole Baphomet deal. That's, that sounds right. Uh, you can look up William Ramsey's work. If you want to look into the occult and uh, look into uh, the symbology behind things like, and this is a theory um, behind things like 9-11, I would definitely do that. Um, if, I mean, if you're a Christian, why don't you believe that there's, I mean, don't you believe in evil? Don't you believe in that? Don't you believe that? If there is God and his son and, you know, we have light and good and decency, there's also darkness and they plan. Yeah, I believe that. All right. We're going to continue to go to the phones. Oh, hold on one second. This is why you you can't produce yourself. (laughs) Uh, Caller, you're on the air on the David Knight Show. Welcome. Hey, Tony, right on. This is Hap. Hey. From up in Duluth, Minnesota. All right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the dog's water bowl froze over last night, just so you, so you know my, uh, temperature oh, my uh, goodness. situation. Okay. Anyways, I, I didn't have any questions. I just wanted to call in and thank you. I talked with Kenzie last week. I made myself a purchase, a family purchase. And then last night I got a delivery from my, uh, my wise wolf warrior pack. So <laughs> I, I guess the warrior pack got out, delivered out and I got mine and thanks Tony. And I'll be calling you again. I'll get off the lines. Let somebody ask a nice intelligent question, but I do want to thank you. Well, been thank listening you. to you for some time. I've been listening to Dave Knight for 10 years now. So right on. Take care. Well, you're smarter for it. Thank you so much. That's a, that's a great call. Yeah. I, I personally signed every single Wolfpack membership. I personally put a note on each single one of them. It's, it's some, been some work. Actually, if you haven't gotten your packages yet, we have more going out uh, today, tomorrow. It's, it's, uh, we're Kenzie and I are filling them as fast as possible, but uh wolfpack.gold, which is if you go to David gold and you go and click join Wolfpack, we have a guaranteed uh, silver and gold delivery monthly membership. It's really cool. I have a whole video. Maybe we'll play the video later because that's fun. You can see uh, Kenzie uh, made it for me. I did the voiceover and we talked about Nixon taking us off the gold standard and closing the gold window and how we're opening it back up. Maybe I'll pull that up here in a little bit. Um, but all kinds of great stuff going on. And and uh, we're really, really proud of that system. And um I just noticed a bunch of David Knight listeners joined and you can start as little as $50 a month. I mean, and we, what we do is we send you a price comparison sheet. We show you what JM Bullion's doing. We showed you what we got your medals for. Uh, it's a good, it's solid. You don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be, could be a premium coin, could be generics, could be 90%. You'll get gold, silver, both, something like that. But it's uh, it's a lot of fun and we're uh, really proud of it. All right. 
Let's see. Uh, if you want to call in, 888-770-1776. Uh, Don Jeffries will join us uh, in the third hour final stretch on the way home here on the David Knight Show. Let's check the Rockfin chat. Hey, I got $15 in donations. I know I'm not David, but uh, anything that you donate today will go to David, folks. Uh, so looks like it's a pretty active chat. We've got a good amount of folks watching. I can't keep up with the chat. You guys are too uh, too on the ball. It's too smart. It's too fast. I can't keep up with it. All right, let's do I got some more articles I wanted to bring up. Then maybe we'll play that that video on wolfpack.gold, uh, which is it's still the news. Oh, this one's fun. <laughs> you want to see a sign of the times? Here's here's a good. This is the New American, uh, good publication by the folks there at the John Birch Society. GOP lawmakers demand answers from Biden officials over NYC and the that's the Chinese Communist Party police station. <laughs> uh, this isn't uh, this isn't the Babylon Bee. A large group of U.S. House Republicans sent a letter on Friday questioning Attorney General Merrick Garland and Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, here his name comes up again, over the presence of the Chinese Fuzhou Police Service Station in New York City. (laughs) We're, We're writing to express our grave concern over reports that law enforcement presence of the People's Republic of China in New York City it begins the letter from 21 lawmakers, including Republican Committee Chairman Jim Banks and Rep. Mike Gallagher. The letter states the Public Security Police Bureau of Fuzhou, if I'm saying that right, China, announced in January 2022 that it has opened up the first batch of 30 overseas police stations in 25 cities in 21 countries, and including the United States. Basically, the Chinese Communist Party police station has been illegally set up to spy on the country's nationals in lower Manhattan and is being allowed by the Biden administration. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, maybe the, are they uh, are they there to assist? Uh, the rising crime wave. I'm, I think the Chinese, they, they have a solution for stuff like that with their mobile organ harvesting vans and whatnot. Right. Uh just absolutely insane. Uh, but that's going on. The New York Post reported the nonprofit American Change Lee Association, NY Inc., owns and operates the service station located above a noodle shop on the third floor of 100 East Broadway on the Lower East Side, according to public filings. In May, the IRS yanked the group's tax exempt status for its failure to submit tax filings for three straight years. All right, so this is where they're housed. I'm surprised they pulled their tax exemption. Uh, I thought <laughs> I thought they were all about uh, diversity and inclusion there, except for if you're an American patriot. Uh, according to the June report uh, by the think tank Australian Strategic Public Poly- Policy Institute, the United Front Work Department is a unit under the CCP that coordinates thousands of groups to carry out foreign and political influence operations, suppress dissident movements, gather intelligence, and facilitate the transfer of technology to China. Sounds about right. That's the one, uh, the uh, variable, the wild card in all of this has been China to me because so many of our lawmakers uh, depended on China. So many of our politics, I mean, you go back to the 90s and the Clintons, you know, uh, bags of cash uh, for the missile technology. I never, I didn't think 
And that's why it's got me such on edge. I mean, this whole thing with Taiwan and, and sending Nancy Pelosi and the, the increase in military presence in the South China Sea, which what does it have to do with American security? All of that. And I'm thinking, so you changed your policy. Uh, that's odd. And what does that signal? All right, we got a call coming in. Let's see if I can take this. All right, caller, you're on the David Knight Show. Go ahead. Howdy there, Tony. I'm calling you. How are you? Hey, how are you? Hey, I am okay. And you are giving me some good vibes as I feel kind of rotten today. So I want to thank you for filling in for David. And uh, I literally right now am listening to you as I spend, I don't even know what hour this is, just lying on my bed. <laughs> I know. It's, so sick. This, it's is, this is this is Guard Goldsmith, ladies and gents. Guard's been a little under the weather. And um, we talked yesterday and I thought, man, you got to get some sleep, brother. You got to host tomorrow. You think you'll be up to, for tomorrow's hosting? You think we can uh, say enough yeah, prayers yeah. and get you, get you over the yeah, hump? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I'm on the upswing, you know. I mean, uh, uh, I did everything Tony Fauci told me to, so I should be really, really good. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, I was on, uh, back at the beginning of uh, 2022, I was on uh, a show called Cash Daddies with Sam Tripoli, and uh, I had, the only time I've been in any all any way sick in the last three years is I had a little bit of a sinus infection. The weather changes in the spring in the Ozarks. And I just, I just pushed it too hard. I had a little bit of, so I had kind of that, that gravelly voice, you know, (laughs) and they said, uh, Hey, you have a, you have a a really deep voice. You know, it's like, is that, this is really built for radio. I said, well, I can't tell if I have a, if I have a sinus infection or if I'm being murdered by gain of function, (laughs) but something, something (laughs) I can't tell anymore. Uh, I definitely, I definitely Uh didn't get the the Trump clot shot. I don't, I don't, uh, I trust, I trust actual science and not that science, but, um, I'm sorry to hear you're under the, I know there's lots of folks in the David Knight family and uh, all the listeners that want to pray for you and, and lift you up there guard because, uh, you know, your, your uh, presentation and your, research is really just second to none other than, I mean, we, we both fill in for David. We can't, uh, do his job for him, but, uh, but you're really right up there. And, and I've been so busy lately. I, I, I rely on you, my friend, to, to dig into the stories and tell me what's actually going on. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks so much, Tony. Well, your show has just been awesome today. And there's so many subjects that that really, you know, catch my brain. You know, you're talking about Tulsi Gabbard and Pollard called in and, and, you know, brought brought up what, what you were just about to mention. You know, she's still a member of these internationalist groups, so it's sort of, well, okay, I kind of like to hear what you're saying, but the proof is in the pudding. So, you know, then there's, there's what is going on in Ukraine. And, uh, you know, I was just looking at a story the other day, Tony, the United States, it's unbelievable. I, I, I told the, the folks at MRCTV, I, I pitched them the idea to write this story. I was like, it's like, it's like Nemesis Carousel. It, you know, for a while, Venezuela is the nemesis. So we can't allow anybody to take anything from Venezuela. So we're going to shut down Venezuela's oil exports to the United States and, of course, shut down the United States 
oil exploration, oil pipelines, natural gas, you know, everything to just stop domestic production and refining. Stop Venezuelan oil from coming in. And then now that Russia's the bad guy, all of a sudden Venezuela, they're thinking, oh, well, well, maybe, maybe now we could bring stuff in. What has changed? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. It's, it's just insane. It's so stupid. These people, and to think that we have a free market here <laughs> when those, yeah. Uh, yeah, those autocrats can decide for us what we can buy to put in our gas tanks. I mean, people got to wake up, man, you know? I, I'm with you 1,000%, Guard. I mean, it, it is, uh, again, the problems that we face, they're doing everything not to solve them. That should give you a clue, right? And it's like just enough oh, Band-Aid, yeah. just enough to get you through without complaining too much while we hit the next phase of austerity, right? And that's what we're seeing with the Biden administration. Yeah. It's just just enough. Uh, you know, the uh, the it's like the old adage of, uh, the, you know, employer will pay you just enough not to quit. <laughs> Right. Just enough, just enough not to quit. And, uh, that's, that's where we are with, uh, with our leaders or so-called or whatever they are. I mean, they're just, just enough, you know, like Mike Bloomberg talked about it, you know, the getting the, uh, they're going to go get the guillotines. (laughs) We got to get them on the UBI, the universal basic income. And that's really what we're seeing is they just want to do just enough while they're, they're taking us down the road. And that's, what's dangerous about all these these our politics today guard is that, um, we're really, you know, you see people like Tulsi Gabbard leaving the, the Democrat Party. I want to see people try to uh, distance themselves from the teams, the team aspect of politics. That's really just killing us right now. That's why that's why we can't get any momentum. Uh, it's because it's kind of designed not to solve the problems that they themselves create for us. It's it's you know the ballot box doesn't because of the two party system, because of the last lack of uh, access to, to, to the ballot itself and to a- access to debates. And, you know, I've told people for years, like in Texas, if you vote in the primary, you can't run in the general, like you can't even be a candidate. Yeah. Like you can't exercise your constitutional mm-hmm. rights. So there's all sorts of ways that the political system itself stops us from having any sort of, uh, you know, redress of grievances, but yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and, and this is why, uh, in being informed and in shows like this and in sh- and you and and your writing on Substack and MRC TV and all the great things that you've done. It's just paying attention. That knowledge is power. That's what we need. Um, if you notice like so many the greatest folks right now in, in the fight for human freedom, they're not in office, right? Can't get there. Oh. I mean, oh. <laughs> sorry. It's, it's uh, so the country's true. not available. So. so true. But uh, yeah, it's so true. Tony, uh, you know, boy, I'm so glad to hear what you're saying today, man. I'm telling you, uh, it's just, uh, I've been taking medicine, but, uh, you're the best medicine around. That's well, all you're, I can say. you're a good man, brother. I love you. And I, I want you to, to feel better and uh, get some rest. And then you and I will talk and hopefully tomorrow, uh, this exact same time guard will be live and I'll be producing. And we'll, we'll get you guys a, an even better show. So, th- so thanks for calling in guard. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Talk Thanks. to you soon. The great Gard Goldsmith, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Gard and I have a great, um, lo- it was a longer interview on Paratruther, um, which is up on my podcast. Uh, Paratruther is just another show that I do because um, I was a paratrooper. Now I'm a paratruther. And uh, Gard and I had a great 
just long form conversation. I end it with some rapid questions. And if you guys know, uh, guard was a writer for star Trek and the outer limits and, uh, he's written novels and just a super, super smart guy and really hip on pop culture and all the stuff. And, uh, uh, just really interesting person, interesting life. And, uh, I'm glad to know him. So, uh, happy to help him tomorrow. Uh, and that'll get you guys, like I said, an even better show. I will right, we'll do one more call. And then we've got Don Jeffries coming up the legend. Uh, so stand by. All right, caller, you're on the air. David Knight show. Go ahead. Caller. Oh, hi, Tony. Yes, go Can ahead. You hear me? I hear you. Go ahead. Yeah, my name is Dan. I'm calling from Ohio. Hey, Dan. And uh, I just wanted to relate a memory that uh, when I, I grew up in Rochester, New York, back in, uh, well, I was a little kid there. And uh, I remember the milk trucks coming up. Back then, they used blocks of ice. There was nothing refrigerated. And uh, the milk bottles had the, the price in the glass. And uh, I don't remember exactly what it was. Maybe it was 25 cents or something, you know, for a quart of milk. But, uh, you know, by the time I uh, was in high school, they were using those sticky labels with the machine. You know, you just you just hit each one and it, it puts a, a price change on it because the prices were changing so rapidly. So uh, it looks like inflation has accelerated considerably since then. So I just wanted to run that by you as kind of a, a response to something you said earlier. Yeah, well, uh, something else I wanted to bring up. Was it, did, you want, did you want to say something? No, you go ahead. Okay. Um, it's a concept I got from, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Fritz Springmeier. He wrote the book, Wise as Serpents. And uh, he came up, uh, he met somebody who was involved in mind control. And so, but he was a Christian man, and he uh, maybe is is a Christian man, and he uh, he was uh, wanted to witness to the Jehovah's Witnesses, so he began studying their organization, and he found that they upper echelon of the Jehovah's Witnesses were communicating with the Mormons, so uh, that got him interested, and he began studying, and lo and behold, he he became aware of all of the things that are going on. But he gives a chart, and it's uh, basically uh, a series of concentric circles, you know, like a target, uh, each circle emanating from the center has more people in it, and the, the religious high priesthood is in the dead center. And then he takes that circle and divides it up like slices of pies, and he labels each slice, you know, one would be the Freemasons, one would be the Mormons, another would be the, uh, the corporations, and then the Catholic Church, and so on and so forth. And he says that in the dead center, the priesthood is running all of those things. And thinking of things like that uh, answers a lot of questions. And do you think that's accurate? Because basically what he says is the priesthood and the, the power structure of the world has not really changed the priesthood in, in uh, thousands of years. That's an interesting theory. I hear a lot in alternative media about the Jesuits as well, uh, the the church, the, you know, the um, the secret societies within, and the control that they have. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I, I the the way I understand uh, our current reality, it's it's manipulated by the folks who control the most wealth. That's the way I understand it. Yeah, um, but that again, yeah, that's that's basically yeah, that's basically what I think what he's saying. Yeah, I think. Uh, 
uh, because in the past, uh, it was the priesthood that controlled the wealth. Um, I have read that the Temple of Diana was in charge of printing the money. And uh, that would be uh, Greece and Rome, that, uh, that time frame. It's interesting. There's but, a, everybody's got a different take, but that, there's all there's all sorts of great research and history on that. And I'm always open to uh, to exploring it. I definitely don't have a closed mind when it comes to it. But th- I think most people know that regardless of who it is or what it is, um, this is a spiritual thing. You know, there's a reason why uh, yeah, well, Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple and got angry and pulled out his whip and overturned the tables and all that is because that's the root of our problem. That's what I think is the emanates the evil comes from the love and the lust of, of money and power. So that's really what, yeah. what's what's driven history. But great call and great questions. I've got I've got Don Jeffries waiting in the wings. Uh, anything else you want to say before I let you go? Uh, just one thing. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the um, motto of the Freemasons is Ordo Ab Cao. And that's order, order out of, of chaos, chaos yeah. which has basically been kind of thematically running through your presentation today. Uh, it's a uh, problem, reaction, solution, order, ab, KO, right? The, uh, uh, the, the bigger, the, the bigger, the problem, the bigger, the solution. And if they've already picked the solution, they create the problem. It's a great call. Uh, thank you so much. And thanks okay. for listening to David. Thank you, Tony. All right, Bye. Take care my friend. All right, folks, we, have the legend Don Jeffries on with us, uh, my good friend, author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, uh, The Unreals, uh, On Borrowed Fame, uh, and his, his articles, I mean, which is another treasure trove. Uh, let me pull this up, Don. I had um, the Donald Jeffries.media up on my screen. Here we go. You guys can go to Donald Jeffries.media. Uh, check out all of Don's shows, his articles, his blogs. Uh, you can buy his books. Everything is all right there on DonaldJeffries.media. And one of the things he had up was Armageddon on the Internet. And we talked yesterday. I said, do you have a, uh, do you have an article you want to talk about tomorrow? And he says, I sure do. Of course you do, Don. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the David Knight Show, my friend. Hey, Tony. It's, all, it's always a pleasure. I'm glad to be on uh, David's show. Oh, always great to have you. What, uh, what's on your mind? Tell me about Armageddon on the internet. <laughs> well, I was pr- pretty much inspired by uh, my own personal situation. It's just very frustrating with the way they shackle people with a uh, shadow. In my case, they shadow ban me. So I, I guess maybe it's, it's better than getting outright banned, which a lot of people have, but it just, it restricts what you can do because you don't, you don't get to, you know, What's the point of having the maximum amount of friends on Facebook, 5,000, which I have, uh, uh, if they block your posts? I mean, they, they, when you put, if you want to promote something like something like saying, I'm going to be on David Knight, if I promote that, yeah, I get a handful of people. But uh, a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, I saw your thing. And enough people told me I know what's going on. Like, I just got this today, like three or four days later, things like that. So that's what a shadow ban. And now they do it on Twitter as well. And uh, the Twitter Spaces, which I was very excited about doing, uh, it's an actual free speech platform over there. But they they messed with the last few of those for my, for me as well. They blocked the notifications going out about it, so you don't get the, as big a crowd. So that's what the whole point was: just to try to show that uh, that this is not obviously it should be obvious to everybody. This is not a level playing field. I've mentioned many times that. Uh, we can we could easily compete against the lame people that have these huge platforms. I'm not impressed with any of them except maybe Tucker Carlson. He's he's good at what he does, but uh, the vast majority of them are incredibly lame. 
they're not any competition at all. And so it's, you know, it's like to use the sports analogy, it's like, you know, you have a, you have a powerhouse team and you know, this ridiculous squad that you could run over easily, uh, but uh, they don't allow you to play them. Or when you play, they just call a penalty every time you do something. That's the situation we're in. It's a rigged game and it's very frustrating because we, we have the truth on our side, but that doesn't matter if they restrict uh, the number of people that can see the, or hear the truth. Yeah. I remember you telling me about the Twitter spaces and I thought, wow, that's a surprising loophole. And then they closed it. <laughs> so yeah. You had it going for a while and then, and then they closed it. And, you know, I don't know what will happen with uh, Elon Musk and if that'll even change, if he ends up getting Twitter, I, I have no idea. I just know that yeah. the, the big tech is an extension of government. You know, it's an extension of government. It's an extension of their policies. Uh, the ARPANET, you know, DARPANET, all that. It's just connected. And big tech, um, ha- again, in the pocket of, of of the government itself. And that's they want to see things censored. It's coming from the government. The calls are coming from inside the house. And you can go and oppose big tech all you want. But at the end of the day, uh, research supports that, you know, they, they get systematic about it. Like you wrote in your article, uh, you know, about uh, InfoWars and being uh, systematically deplatformed uh, in August of, of 2018. Yeah. And then after that, uh, it was also like, and David talks about like 800 other sites. And then they've just gone, they, that was the censorship uh, jubilee. I mean, it was a big, it was a big, it was a big party they had for censorship for a long time. Um, and I, I don't think it's tapered off much. I mean, it's kind of like where it, most of the interesting people are off some, the, 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 the big platforms and we've kind of reached this not equilibrium, but it looks like they're going after uh, going even further. Look at the the monetary censorship, Don, like through PayPal. Yes, yeah, and, that, and that's what that's what's so amazing about it. I've, I've written some articles for American Free Press about how uh, they screwed around with bank accounts, not just PayPal. PayPal is kind of the most famous one, but they also screwed around with uh, you know right wingers' uh, bank accounts. I mean, ah, that's possible. So the next step would be okay, you can't have a cell phone, which is pretty much essential now for anybody that wants to, you know, do business or live in today's society. If those companies just decide, Hey, you know what, you know, your, your, your views are not acceptable. You can't have a cell phone with us. And it's really, it's, we're heading in that direction. And that's what the social credit score is all about. This is all just an extension of what we're seeing. And that's why I say, regardless what you think of Alex Jones, regardless what you think of Donald Trump. And I use both of them in the article because they're using them symbolically, or they started using them too, as, as you said, they started with Alex Jones and there's 800 and some more, lots of good platforms I used to be on. Yes, a lot of them are QAnon things, but the problem is that they use that to, to squelch debate. And those, again, they, they were people that were growing, you know, a couple of those uh, uh, channels that I used to be on YouTube all the time had close to a million subscribers. So they had built up a huge base and gone overnight. And I've talked to some of those guys and it's, yeah, they go to rumble and bit shoot and it's nice. They have these alternative platforms, but you, it's hard to build a base quite that big again right. and you lose a certain amount of people. And that's, that's the problem. So even though we don't agree or we, we doesn't matter what we think of Alex Jones or, or Donald Trump or any of these people. I mean, we may all, you know, as I suggested, you know, maybe they're all involved in this They're you know, they're state actors as well, but symbolically, what is it doing? to free expression. And and also my article was kind of an homage to uh, what the internet was, you know, once was, and people remember it uh, when, you know, I, I mean, I just remember discovering it was like a kid in a candy store 
when the internet first came out, I, I was, I, I mean, I'm on it all the time still, but, but I mean, it was ridiculous because I, I spent every free moment I could on there. I was just, it's just amazing that, you know, you could, you could type something, I guess Yahoo was the first, then Dogpile were the first big search engines before Google, but you could type anything almost in there and, and, and things would come up. And right. uh, it, so it wasn't until Google and their algorithm. And now I, I didn't really go into that in the article, but I've talked about it before, how hard it is for me, you know, writing my books now. And even with the three searchers, you know, Chris Graves is really great on getting through those uh, algorithms somehow, but uh, they really make it hard. Just the, the difference in when I wrote say crimes and cover-ups not that long ago, you know, four or five years ago. And what, it, when I was writing hidden history three, trying to find some of this information and a lot of it's, you know, coming from sources like, for instance, one example was when Donald Trump, um, the Washington Post retracted. Uh, they, they had misrepresented what he said, I think, to somebody in Ukraine or something at one point in a phone conversation. They admitted that they were wrong and they took it out of context. You know, as the fact checkers tell us, we do all the time. Right. And uh, so I just tried to find that to have the exact date that it appeared in the Post. It took me forever. to They literally they were blocking a story from the Post because of what it was saying. And you see that all the time and it's very frustrating. And again, we, I've tried, you know, people send me all the time when I'm complaining about it, they'll send me, try this search engine, try this. And I've found none really that are, are adequate enough that the way it was again in the beginning with Yahoo and Dogpile, there were, there were no, there was nobody blocking things. And I mean, if, if you want to see how ridiculous it is now, go, go to Google and type in, uh, what is it they use? Happy white woman. <laughs> yeah. just, see, see, see what your results are. It's it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And right. uh, I, I mean, they're trying to. I mean, I don't know what that really should be, but I guess I don't know. I'm I'm picturing you know white females you know running through a a garden of flowers, butterflies chasing them or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's, you don't get that. But that. But uh, and people have commented on that many times. They 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 manipulate the search results, and so. Uh, even with a team, so fortunately, I have the three searchers that help me out a lot. But uh, it's uh, it's very. Uh, if you go to images, I guess images. What you want to images, see? Okay. Yeah, and then. Uh, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's pretty that's, amazing. That's, yeah. Okay. I see. All right. Yeah. So <laughs> all right. Yeah. yeah. It's, like they can't be it's a, a white woman by herself or it has to be mixed with other things or other races to yeah. I guess, offset yeah. that or. Yeah. Is that what I, I, okay. Again, I don't, I don't see, I, I couldn't find the picture of the uh, other running through the uh, flower bed or whatever. That's so <laughs> what I'm picturing in my mind, but uh, yeah. Weird. So that, and that's the kind of thing again, if you, uh, and there are other things you can type out or that people have told me, I mean, I don't, waste that much time doing because I'm trying to actually do research and it's, but it's tough, but that's all part of what they're doing. And they're, they're making it harder because this, the internet was, I said it was the great hope of the world at one time, because this was the first form of communication that we had ever had. I mean, but people don't realize it go back in their history, their hidden history. And uh, you look at what happened with the FCC. The FCC was created because the founding fathers, when they uh, wrote the bill of rights they when they said freedom of the press and freedom of uh, speech, they didn't foresee you know these kinds of inventions. And so, as I said, and people have commented before in the past that they, you know they should have really um, 
amended the First Amendment just, just, just to you know add in there to protect uh, you know that this also extends to radio first and then films, motion pictures and then television, but they never did that and instead they created the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, and uh, we know how they've restricted the Hayes Code restricted uh, films after uh, 1934. And um, so they, you know, monitored everything that was on their television and radio have always been strictly controlled, as you know. I mean, George Carlin got his start by ranting against the FCC, you know, the seven words you can't say. Uh, and, and that was the first times I heard of him. And, uh, you know, people like Howard Stern, when he would, before he became just completely the new Howard Hughes, uh, he, he was, uh, at that time, he used to battle with the FCC all the time. Now, most of the battles against the FCC at that were about you know, obscenity. They just basically wanted to talk more about sex and, you know, drugs and th- things like that, but they weren't really uh, fighting it on a political basis, but people don't talk about the FCC enough and what, it, what uh, impact it had on the first amendment. Cause that's, again, most people express themselves uh, once radio and television, especially came to be most people get their news from television, even when the big city newspapers were still, Big and of course the, the the big city newspapers were better then than they are now, but they still had lots of restrictions on them. They tended to be owned by the the same kind of suspects that we see in other media. But uh, this, what I fear is that the internet is going to turn into the kind of wasteland television is, so that we all have you know 250 channels on satellite or cable, or whatever, and there's nothing to watch because they're all the same. You can't, you know, you can't go on there. Your best hope, I guess, is to get Newsmax TV or something. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, free speech, Don, is is profitable. It really is, and that's again, that's you know, another See, thing. Other that one, should... Don, I think you're breaking up a little bit, Don. Let's just let you catch up for a second. Uh, yeah, I was telling Don, and hopefully he'll come back. I think he just froze up a little bit. Uh, you know, the f- free speech is profitable. It's good for the. It's good for markets. It's good for everything. And be, there's more creation. There's more creativity. Uh, look at the networks that can and and ventures. Uh, you know, talking Don, you, you faded out there a little bit, but I was thinking about the fairness doctrine. You're familiar with the fairness doctrine, aren't you? The yes, uh, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. It was removed in the 1980s. It's what it was. It was set in place, I think, in the 30s. Uh, yeah. to uh, to to push back on things like uh, Father Conklin's and stuff like that. And yes, others. yes. Uh, and uh, in the 80s, uh, it was removed, and that's where you get the rise of somebody like Rush Limbaugh, and all these other media companies uh, sprang up. You know, I'm I'm on uh, uh, Salem Media out of San Antonio. I'm I'm a customer, and I have a, my show, my radio show, plays there once a week. But talk radio is in it up until now, and they kind of make it real milk toast. But it's been a popular medium. Yes. Uh, and so like all these, you know, free speech and freedom and all that, it, it creates opportunities. It, it, it adds to the economy, but they want to shrink that. I wonder if it, do you see a time that, that they'll bring back the fairness doctrine only to save us from, you know, white supremacy or yeah. white nationals or something. Well, I think, I don't know if they'll call it that, but I mean, I think they're just, uh, I mean, they'll call it the fact checkers and uh, you mm-hmm. know, cause that, that's what they're doing now. They're using fact checkers and they're just labeling it, They've gone from conspiracy theories, although they still use that a lot, to just saying it's misinformation. And I, as I talk about in the article, I, we should all really fear if World War III really does ever come to fruition. And again, we seem to always be on the precipice of it, and hopefully it won't happen. And just, you know, whatever, just the more fear porn. But 
if it happens, just go back and look in history what happened in previous big wars, World War One, World War Two, especially, uh, and and back to the Civil War as well. When Lincoln shut down over two hundred newspapers, World War One, Wilson threw protesters in jail. The Supreme Court upheld his right to do that. And that's where the first asterisk on the First Amendment came. I've talked about that. That's where the expression, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater came from, when they actually equated uh, Eugene Debs and the World War I protesters to people yelling fire in a crowded theater. World War II, they just, uh, you know, they sent people to concentration camps uh, who weren't even objecting. I mean, by the time World War II came around, there were no objectors. There was almost no one. They, they were all terrified. They saw what happened in World War I. So they just went out and planted their victory gardens and, and bought their bonds. And that, that was it. And at World War III, I don't think, you know, those of us looking in Washington, D.C. at the January 6th political prisoners still being held there almost two years later, denied all due process. How many of us? I mean, I don't know what I will do, uh, Tony, because if they do something, I mean, everything I write on on Substack and anywhere else is basically a thought crime. And uh, is if we come up with a digitalized uh, social credit score, I mean, I'll be, I'll be in negative territory and uh, I literally won't be able to pay my bills because, they, you know, they'll just you know, uh, confiscate my money or just not give me access to it. Those are the kind of things that should worry us all. But it, clearly this kind of censorship will be ramped up warp speed uh, <laughs> to use the term. We'll be on warp speed censorship if we go to World War III because in times and then all of us, uh, will be considered enemy combatants, domestic yes. terrorists. And, you know, that, and so everything we're doing, like just by what we're talking about now, it's all Russian disinformation. Putin is right. controlling this. You know, that's what that's what they'll say. That's what scares me the most. I did the first you know hour or so just talking about um, my anxiety, my fear of of what they're pushing with the World War Three and how much power that gives them, not only to get to save their currency and save their systems if they don't die in a nuclear fire, but they get to save it. <laughs> But they can also, again, like you can turn inward and say, uh, well, you're, you know, Alien and Sedition Act type stuff or, you know, you, you've got um, uh, the Espionage Act and all these other things. You can say, look, you're an enemy of the state. You're just Russian disinformation or Chinese dis- disinformation or whatever. You know, you're a terrorist just for, you know, going on shortwave and talking about how the government made the, you know, created the, the war to begin with. And so, yeah, it's uh, for people like us. Because we're not going to suddenly become pro-war if we get into a war. I'm sorry, folks. I'm not doing that. I'm not. Uh, if I, you know, this we get into a war. I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't support it just because it's us. I mean, we, again, we need right. to to support what's right. And if you know that you got into it with false pretenses or that uh, we're in the wrong, and I, again, you're going to have to do that. And a lot of people in history have done that and paid a heavy price for it. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, we, you know, I, I want to. I said, you know, I, I, I appeared at a documentary a few years back that I don't know if it'll ever be filmed, but it's it, it gave me a credit on IMDb. <laughs> uh, it's called I I, uh, I love my country, but hate what they're doing. Right. And I think it's a great title. And that's exactly the way I feel. I am very I mean, obviously, my affinity for the founding fathers. I I love the American tradition that the founding fathers established. But and, and you know, up until certainly even into the eighties and nineties, America was, uh, had a lot of great aspects to it, you know, booming economy, certainly in the post-war, uh, like nothing the world's ever seen. I'm very patriotic about that, but the, the, these wars are always for absurd reasons. They're, they're created out of foreign hobgoblins as HL Mencken called them. And then Putin is obviously the latest one for that. But to, to the idea that we can't, and, and there's no anti-war movement now, it's not like the sixties when you could, take solace in all the uh, the 60s radicals and the anti-war marches. I mean, you have Cindy Sheehan and Cynthia McKinney, Gerald Salente, and a handful of others. And they, I guess Tulsi Gabbard, 
former Democrat, you know, but um, other than that, there, there's no thriving anti-war movement at all. No one is opposed to this. People are jumping on board and they're actually supporting nuclear weapons. The left, the no nukes left, you know, what happened to Jackson Brown, the no nukes concerts, uh, not now. Now it's now it's go nukes, you know, not no nukes. And uh, they, 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 they so you've got to do they have a go nukes concert. Maybe Bono can headline it and, uh, you know, <laughs> people like that. And uh, Bruce Springsteen, the former boss, is now uh, who I love this music, but is now collaborating with the great uh, the great musician, musical artist, Barack Obama. So maybe uh, Springsteen and Obama will headline that the go nukes concert. But uh, <laughs> but and, and it's not that's really not that much of an exaggeration because that's the. Uh, what we're seeing. So for those of us that would be any opposition to it will be, you know, going back to Lincoln, Lincoln was the first one basically to invent the concept of appeasers. You know, why should he said, you know, why should I uh, shoot the, uh, the, the deserter, but not lock up the wily agitator. That's the, that's the uh, word he used. And of course, uh, Woodrow Wilson locked up people and uh, uh, FDR. That's when the term appeaser really became popular and it's associated with Neville Chamberlain. And all this is associated with people that want peace. John F. Kennedy's dad, Joseph P. Kennedy Sr. So that's what we would look at. We would be looked at appeasers because we're against war. So we're weak and, you know, we are, uh, and we're, of course, we're enemy combatants. You know, we're, I mean, I, 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 I don't understand a word of Russian, so I don't know how I could be some kind of a Russian asset, but uh, that's what Tulsi Gabbard was. And that's what, that's basically they'll call anybody who says, Something that is, uh, and, and of course, Trump was, you know, accused of that himself. I mean, one of Trump's finer moments was when he actually uh, went to a summit with Vladimir Putin, and he said some good things about, you know, is it is it really that bad that you know we should want to win along with Russia? I think he said something like that, very reasonable things, and he was blasted. You know, oh, that's crazy. You know, what are your your Putin's puppet? And that's when the Putin's puppet thing came in. That's what we would all be. And you know, you know, we don't we don't know anything about Vladimir Putin. We don't know anything about these other foreign hobgoblins. Maybe they're awful people. I don't know. But I do know that it's none of our concern. Our own country is collapsing. And uh it's certainly gonna put a crimp in my style, even if they don't come and lock us up in FEMA camps. Uh just the fact that we won't be able to, you know, we won't be able to write or say. Right. What, uh, what we do on a daily basis because uh oh that we're in war now. You know, loose lips, lips sink ships. I mean, there's so many awful precedents that Americans in the past allowed to be set, and uh, you can bet they'll 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 again they'll they'll ramp that up to warp speed, and it'd be censorship like you'd never seen before. Well, you have to look at like the Smith Modernization Act, you know, where they in 2012, 2013, or they made propaganda legal again for <laughs> to run on the American people, and I. I was, I was trying to find the report, but it was, you know, recently, I think it was the White House that was looking into other agencies and trying to figure out what psyops they were running at the same time. Because no one knows what's going on. There's so many psyops. And I, I just I really feel like we're entering into a period of just that kind of chaos where, um, I mean, they definitely want to get us into a war and they're going to persecute anybody who is uh, not on board for that. And, you know, the American people, um, because of this long history of propaganda, um, I mean, a big chunk of them are going to fall for it. I do have hope, though, that you see so many people. I think if this was 20 years ago. If they were running, you know, the, the, the full blast of the mainstream media, top down Mockingbird style, if they ran that to support Ukraine, then 
it'd be a lot bigger for, you know, how many people were, you know, changing their profile pictures or showing support. They, they get that sliver, but it usually shows up on political lines now. And it's almost like they have to have something. That's why Trump was so important for the new world order because he, he quieted all the people that would be most vocal to like just yeah. to call, you know, uh, BS on, on what yeah. the, the narrative was. And so they used him for that. In my opinion, I, you called it the Trumpenstein project. <laughs> I happen to totally agree at this point, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're just an interesting time. You mentioned in, in your article too, Don, about, uh, speaking of Trump, I, I, I can't believe that there hasn't been more pushback and more, uh, there wasn't more uproar over the fact that the big tech censored the president of the United States while he was president. Yeah. Like literally deplatformed him. And you know, it's funny yeah. because we all like we're us hosts down here at the bottom. We're like, hey, just begging Trump to do something while he had the power and the pen and the bully pulpit. And you know, he had like a rose garden, a garden party over it, I guess, and had some of the, <laughs> you know, the the gatekeepers over. Um, but no, they they end up they came for him, you know, and um they got him and and, and censored him. So I don't know. I don't know if there's any hope for like as far as the big tech aspect, but then you have places like rockfin.com where we're on right now yeah, yeah. on America unplugged. And that's like our fallback position. And, you know, there's like the loophole that David talked about yesterday with podcasting. Um, podcasting is still, still huge and, and growing. Yeah. It is censored in some areas, but not as much as they would like. So we still got some, you know, I'll never forget. I was, uh, you know, your book, uh, before we ever talked, Hidden History has a lot of gems in it. And the way that it ends, if I remember correctly, because I re- I listened to it on audio a bunch of times, and you talk about this exact subject at the end of Hidden History, where you say, well, here's some bright spots. We still have the Internet. Yeah. Right. And this is back and you wrote that book. Uh, I think you published in 2014, right? Yeah. Yes. Right. So it was published in 20. So that was your take at that time. Look at the amount of censorship and systematic yes. controlled censorship that we've had. Yeah, and I, I, that's what I, as I said in the article. I didn't. Uh, I was more hopeful then because I, I thought the internet was uh, again it was the first form of communication, and more and more people were gravitating to the internet, especially young people. And that's why if if they can manage, but I, I didn't foresee Trump obviously. And again, the Trumpstein project I think is all associated with that. I think they used his rhetoric, which was often great. You know, I said a lot of the stuff he had said, you know, I had been saying at parties, you know, for a long time. And uh, you know, to, to the delight of the uh, party goers. Uh, but um, and so I was saying, well, this is unbelievable. This guy's saying just revolutionary stuff. But the fact he never did anything and the whole thing became uh, a, about him, his personality and millions and millions of people became supercharged with Trump Duran syndrome and hate him uh, beyond all rationality more than Hitler, more than any, any hobgoblin they've ever created. Uh, they still do. And so they're willing to accept all these things that are associated with him. So the January six people are associated with him. So good, cut off their heads. I don't care. They don't need due process. They don't. And that's their attitude. I I've talked to enough of them to know, and they're, they were pretty rational people before that, but they, anything associated with Trump vote fraud, they'll never look at vote fraud again because Donald Trump talked about it. Ah, it's the fairest election ever. As long as their side wins, you know, then it's the fairest election ever. All these things uh, and and something like war, because Trump continues to uh, when Trump is the voice of reason. How, how hopeless is it? But he uh, he he has mentioned Trump and Elon Musk is the other one. Elon Musk came up with a very, 
I, you know, very reasonable suggestion where he said, you know, why don't we just uh, allow the people in the area un- under question? You know, why don't we let them to vote on, hey, who, you know, who, who do you want to be a part of, Russia or Ukraine? <clears throat> to me, that sounds pretty good. I mean, I, you know, why wouldn't that be? That's kind of direct democracy, isn't it? Isn't that what we're fighting for? Democracy, let the people decide. And uh, <clears throat> he was, <clears throat> excuse me, he was attacked by uh, our favorite rhino, Lindsey Graham. <laughs> who said he was who said he was dangerous and you know Lindsay went apoplectic. Lindsay speaking for the Biden administration, his opposition, of course, as he often does. Um he, you know, and and this is what I'm saying, a reasonable suggestion like that. Again, why why was that dangerous? I mean, to me that sounds reasonable. Trump and Trump had offered, of course, a typical Trumpenstein thing where he has to throw his personality in there, but he wanted to be the, you know, the the negotiator. Uh, let me go and negotiate peace now. <laughs> Now, could a Trump negotiate peace? I don't know. But the idea, again, he's taught and he still is putting out feelers for peace, saying this is stupid. We shouldn't be doing this. Uh, So but who else in the public eye is? is, I I don't know. And Tulsi Gabbard's the left of Democrats. I guess she kind of is. But I don't see any high profile Republicans or Democrats uh, that aren't on board with this. And uh, so this is this is so without the Internet. And, and my fear is that they've already come after social media. They started with that. And I've mentioned many times, as you know, Tony, where I don't think they're going to stop there. And unfortunately, I think eventually they will come for platforms like Rockfin and, and uh, Substack and uh, blogs, personal blogs, because it irritates them. I, I And I think I published it in Hidden History. One of those, Maybe I wrote an article about it on my blog, but uh, they had this woman back in the Obama years that just... She testified before Congress that it was about the problem of blogs and just her elitist snobbery. I mean, the idea that that people like you and me, the part of the unwashed masses, the common riffraff that we can get on and and you have a camera and be able to figure this out and reach however many people we're reaching. It's too many for them. They don't want anybody reached. And uh, and and tell it, tell them, you know, express our opinions unfiltered. Without the, you know, without a talking, because we're not being paid millions of dollars by uh, huge corporations, we're not members of the Council of Foreign Relations. We're just average people out there dealing with the issues, and uh, we're we're giving a fresh perspective. They hate that because they don't. This is where the eugenicism really comes into play, because they they want most of us dead. They think we're useless eaters, so they certainly don't want us spouting off our opinions to thousands or you know, when I'm on coast to coast, millions of people. Right. They hate that idea. So they, they and, you know, so I, I should I probably shouldn't have lumped uh, radio in when I talked about it because you're right. A lot of talk radio, including coast to coast, uh, has, has been pretty good and pretty open. So uh, how this, but most of it, I think, is a wasteland. Certainly all television is. But so if they if they gradually in increments go after things like Rockfin and Substack, then. Again, what do we, if there is, say they, you know, they use it as, as, you know, during the war. Well, you know, we can't, we're at war now. You know, we can't have shows like this on anymore. Questioning the, you know, it's bad for morale. I mean, they could, people need to look at the propaganda that happened during World War II. If you want to get an idea of that, where people watch the movies that were created then. And, and uh, <clears throat> that was overt state propaganda where no one, I mean, you literally, you risked, being and in fact, there was a scene in the best years of our lives where the uh, the troops come home after World War II, and it's you know it's an homage again to the the troops, and they're coming home mentally shattered. One of them, I think, <clears throat> lost his legs or something. And uh, 
But there's a scene there where they're at a bar and one of these guys says, well, you know, we fought on the war- wrong side in World War II, which is just what George Patton said you know, before before he died under very mysterious circumstances. But I'm, just, I'm not saying that myself because I don't think there is a, a right side in most of these wars. But um, and, you know, you can see how the the the, the, the crowd, they, they come on and they, I think they get he gets beat up or threatened to get beat up. Or what, but that was the attitude. That was the attitude. What, what are you talking? That's commie talk. And they were already saying it was commie talk. And uh, that's what they would, that was, would be what would happen to us probably. You know, we, if we going out and we said anything like that in public, we, you you know, as a champion weightlifter, you'd be more successful than most. Maybe you could you bench press some of those guys. But I mean, for most of us, you know, I, I'm not looking to get into physical altercation. And I'm, I'm also not going to change my style, which is basically if I'm out with people and they're usually want to hear what I say. And I'm of course going to rant and rave like I do here. And uh, I don't want anybody in a restaurant coming up to me. And, but that, that's, there's a real fear that if we go to war, because if they bought, again, you see how they bought the COVID narrative. You see how they buy everything else. They will, the, those same majority that are, you know, that were double masking and are still riding around in their cars with masks on, they're going to buy this hook, line and sinker. And if you, they're going to demonize us uh, as much as anybody in the media does. Well, absolutely. And I, mean, I think they're warming up for that. I mean, they're going to, um, use the same tactics they used for COVID-1984 for, and that they're using for censorship. I mean, they'll make uh, well, your writing is essential and then you're non-essential. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it'll, it'll be basically something like that. I mean, and, and uh, you, people like you and I, and again, we'll just go back to it. It's, 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 it's going to be a, a, a dark time if we enter into that period where, cause we're not going to shut up. Uh, that's, yeah. I think too, something I notice if you pay attention to culture, and that is uh, people are pushing back. I know that I'm probably somewhat uh, biased because of a lot of the accounts that I follow when I look at social media, but it's big. I mean, um, the, the, the difference, the juxtaposition to somebody who's, um, you know, all about changing their profile picture to Ukrainian flag or whatever the current thing is, the NPC meme, you know, where you take the chip out the back and plug in the new thing. Um, but there's people just rejecting that like whole cloth, like, Oh, I don't even buy that at all. You know, like the Nord stream pipeline, like, Oh yeah, we did it. You know, like, and it's just because we live in a post, you know, JFK nine 11 world and all that research and all of that, it's, it's, they have tried to control it, but it's bled into the consciousness. I think of, of our society where there is a certain amount of the population that's bigger probably than it's ever been before. Who's one thousand percent skeptical on all this, Don? No, I, I agree with you. And again, it's part of the division of the country because our side, that side, it's 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 it could be you know close to half of the country to varying degrees that is skeptical in varying degrees that are totally awake. Uh, certainly, not half the country is going to be receptive to what we're saying. But there, it's a lot of them are Trump supporters, and they still they're clinging to that, so they're awake to. To that degree, but uh, the the problem is that everybody, even though there are way more people awake now, and and the problem is they're more awake than ever. The problem for for us is because it's harder and harder to take this. So, for instance, if I mean, it just becomes more laughable. Although they'll censor our memes, you know, there's so many great memes that come out about about the you know whether it's COVID or, or Putin or whatever, and I, I share them when I can on Facebook, and but usually. Sometimes they get to the shadow ban. If I share it, I just can't write them myself, and they automatically shadow ban it. But some of them are very clever, and you can see 
lots of people are receptive to it. But the problem is that everybody in a position of power, and that's it, it doesn't matter. We could come to the point where 75% of the people are awake, are like us, and we have huge ratings on shows like this. But as long as the, the reins of power are in the hands of those, then you know it, it becomes a, a question of how. what do you do? How do you possibly take that power away? Because we know that we already know you can't, we can't vote ourselves out of it. I mean, if, if, if people had any doubts, I mean, I wrote about, as you know, in Hidden History, I had a whole section on voter fraud in there. This goes way back to, you know, when they robbed Samuel Tilden of the presidency in 1876. Um, certainly landslide Lyndon Johnson. We have a great tradition of voting early and often in this right. country. It used to be a joke, and it's not a joke anymore because they want, you know, people to vote early and often without IDs. And uh, that's what they want. But after the 2020 election, I don't know how anybody could possibly think that we can vote ourselves out of this. So the electoral process is not an answer. The legal system is not an answer. We have an injustice system as witnessed uh, by what you see the, the January 6th prisoners. And, you know, Tucker does a great job of covering that. He, he, he showed, I don't know if you saw that guy, uh, the, the deranged black guy with a hatchet in McDonald's that chopped up a McDonald's and uh, was threatening people. And he was released like, you know, almost immediately without bail. And he went out and uh, created uh, some other, I think he was caught with stolen property, something that he created, he did another, he committed another crime, two other crimes and was released again immediately without bail. So how do we juxtapose that? And that's, you know, I'm not picking on him. There's lots of criminals like that, that are, and they are criminals uh, that are fight because they have George Soros finance pro- prosecutors in these cities where Violent crime is not punished at all. There's no bail set for these people. And then you juxtapose that against the political prisoners that we see in Washington, D.C., who uh, have been sitting there for almost two years, many untold. I don't even know how many are in prison there. Denied bail, denied a speedy trial, certainly a speedy trial, not any trial, uh, being tried on television, some beaten in solitary confinement, supposedly. Those are the allegations. How do we juxtapose that kind of system? How to look at look at the um, the pro-life activist with 11 kids that recently had his, his home raided by the FBI with uh, guns and, and terrorizing his children. He faces an up to 11 year prison sentence for singing hymns uh, while blocking access to an abortion clinic. Uh, it is, that's what I'm saying. It's, we become to the point, I think, where we cannot live in. It's incompatible. Our values are so incompatible with those kinds of whatever, you know, transgender values. I don't even know what they are. We're, we cannot, we, you've talked about divorce analogy. We have irreconcilable differences. We have to divorce. I don't know how we do that because uh, going back to 1860, uh, our greatest leader, they tell us, the court historians tell us, Abraham Lincoln uh, established firmly that this is not a voluntary union. That, you know, you have no right to secede. So I don't know how we would do that. And I don't know how you would set that up because, there, there are people on both sides in every area. Wyoming has blue people. I mean, so I don't know how we would do that. It, it would be a complicated procedure, but at some point, it's it's going to become obvious that we cannot live together anymore. Because at this, you know, when you when you have, we we talk about this system all the time. How do we possibly respect? And in World War Three, what would any what would any parent send their kid out, or why would any young person? What what are you fighting for? Right, you're not fighting for Thomas Jefferson and the and the and the, and the Constitution and the, and the First Amendment because our leaders don't believe in that and they want to eliminate. Are you fighting for you know Hunter Biden's ability to be above the law 
and and do what he wants? Are you fighting for Hillary Clinton to commit crimes ever and ever? Are you are you fighting for this uh, you know Joe Biden and Kamala Harris for for it's who are you fighting? I mean, what values are you fighting for for transgender rights for critical race theory? What exactly would American troops be fighting for at this point? You know, we're not. And I might I might get behind them if, you know, we if we are actually our shores were attacked. OK, then we're all in this together, I guess. You know, they're they're, they're attacking my home and my family. But that's not the case. As always, we're going to other parts of the world. So people really need to take a long, hard look. And again, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. People tell me, you know, you're complaining. And I, I but I, I don't know that there are any viable solutions. I just know that it's not as easy as a marriage where you you can find a way out of it. This is something where, um, you know, that was a plot line in some of the old movies where the shrewish wife or the uh, horrible husband owner wouldn't give their spouse, didn't love them, but wouldn't give them a divorce, was making them stay. And that's essentially where we are now. The other side won't give us a divorce and we're forced to deal with their lunacy. Well, you're a thousand percent right, Don. And, and then, uh, you know, if you read history, which I know you do, and you dig into some uh, study of culture and uh, past civilizations, we're about to test. We're about to test the the mantra and uh, the value system is of uh, uh, diversity is our strength. We're about to test that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's coming down. And I talk about this all the time because you look uh, at uh, look at all these other nations that have uh, broken apart. I mean, the term Balkanizations come, uh, comes from the Balkans, you know, the breakup of Yugoslavia and all these artificial nations that were held together by the Soviet Union post-World War II. And where did those nations go? Well, they broke off on their own or they became other territories based off of what's called ethno-nationalism. And those are, you know, your your culture, uh, your background, your history and heroes, language, all those things. People like to generally go to like water finds a level. That's what happens. Uh, and we've we've completely obliterated that here by design through, uh, again, nothing wrong with immigration, but we've done we've done it on a scale never before seen. I mean, this is even dwar- it makes the Roman Empire look like a isolationist <laughs> from what the right. amount of stuff that we've imported and people we've imported and 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 then just keep the floodgates on. And, and, and of course, at the same time, exporting our jobs, exporting our wealth devaluing our currency like it's it's almost like it's a plan don it's almost like it was gonna, i can't believe it it's almost like it's on purpose but you but yeah we're gonna find out how do you how do you have that divorce when you like you said you've got blue people in wyoming you got i mean look at alabama alabama's supposed to be like deep deep red and roy moore lost it i forget what i mean i don't know if they remember that election and i thought yes. wow, i mean just because yeah. they did a takedown and he was able to they ever push him away so even the demographics there like you can't you couldn't push a a republican in a deep blue state no matter what like it wouldn't matter right. like it would you could the other candidate could do like rituals on television and do sacrifice it yeah matter. um but you, the republicans are always subject to being you know uh manipulated and, and controlled but that that is interesting how do we how will and I think it, you know David talks a lot about the, the local level and and yes. you know, sanctuary counties. I mean, you, you know, not not just sanctuary counties for like the Second Amendment, but the entire Bill of Rights. We got to have like counties and cities and municipalities. Like, hey, we follow the Constitution of the United States of America as laid out by our founding fathers, and that's our law. You know, Lex Rex. That's who. That's who. Yeah. You know. Uh. You know. Render unto Caesar what Caesar's. Well, I guess what Caesar is. Uh, the Constitution is king, and so I think people can make that argument. And, uh, you know, you look to the future, you wonder how that all works out. I don't know. 
because we've never seen this before. So this is where, this is where we kind of go full circle, but you know, they, they need the ruling class. And if you want to keep the United States as one single entity, you're going to need something. You're going to need a catastrophic and catalyzing event much larger than nine 11. And you're going to need to keep those police uh, state powers up, the surveillance powers up. You're going to have to have, Patriot Act 2.0, the reckoning or something. So yeah. you'll have it'll be something like that in order to keep this thing together. The Soviet Union broke apart uh, because of economic pressure and uh, you know the outside pressure of the U.S. If you want to look at it that way through a foreign policy uh, perspective, but they weren't able to hold together the empire because it was multilingual, multiracial, multiethnic. Uh, you know, uh, again, a thrown together, held together by a totalitarian state. I, you know, there's right. a lot of similarities there between the, I hate saying it, but there's a lot of similarities to the Soviet Union and its time and, and sure. where we've become. Sure. And that might, you know, my friend Vince Agnelli is, is very, uh, I think he's probably listening out there, uh, is very uh, fond. You know, he talks all the time about trying to, uh, to get things going at a local level to try, you know, maybe we can start our own. So, you know, the, the hippies tried that, didn't they? Uh, that was considered attractive then, I guess, at their communes. But uh, it may have to come to that, especially if they do something like digitalize the currency, then, then they basically stripped all of us of our value. I mean, there are, most of us, you know, whatever investments we might have that we get a hold of, gold and silver or whatever. But uh, other than that, we would have to go to a strict bartering society, which, you know, might work. I don't know if people cooperate at that level or not, but it may come to that. And uh, I, you're right. When David talks about the, the local levels, uh, I've, I am still keeping an eye on on what happens with these. I, I don't really care what happens with the national elections because I know they control that. I still think they may throw the Republicans a crumb and let them take one house of Congress, but maybe not. I don't know. And uh, but I think it'll be meaningless. Nothing will change. It, but because uh, again, I think these are, these are they're, they're selections. They're not elections. And uh, you know, but the, at the, at the local level, though, if assuming that the school board elections aren't rigged too, which they could be. I mean, why wouldn't they be necessarily? There should be a massive overhaul of uh, these school boards. Uh, certainly in Loudoun County, my neighboring county over here, which was the epicenter of the, the parent protests. At, at this point, if they can't completely, if they can't do better than vote out a handful, which happens, you know, in the national elections, 96% or so of these awful incumbents are worse people on earth that don't remotely represent the average person at all. Yet the average person we're supposed to believe can't help but vote themselves back in. I, as low opinion as I have of the sheeple most of the time, I still love them though as a populist. It's kind of kind of a, a strange relationship I have in my mind with him. But I refuse to believe that they are that stupid. That they, but you know, but and if they are, it really is over because if they're actually letting these people vote and. You really are reelecting Nancy Pelosi and Lindsey Graham and all these for decades and decades. Uh, then what hope is there? I mean, there's 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 no point in us even attempting to talk to these people because they're they're there's you know they're hopeless cases. But uh, if we can get some kind of action at the local school board, if I, if I hear that oh you know they overturned uh, you know ninety percent of the school boards in this area, okay, and, and that there's no guarantee that the new people won't be co opted as well. But at least you said the same thing with Congress. If we had a 90 percent turnover, which is what it should be more like every election, uh, that doesn't mean the new people wouldn't be corrupt as well. But at least you give yourself a chance, you know, because you, you know what to expect if you're putting the incumbents back in. But at least with school boards, maybe you can get some people in there are sensible who will you know, examine critical race theory 
and this transgenderism movement who will look at some of these TikTok videos. I mean, yeah, they're, if you and I, if we're going up for a national security clearance or something, they're going to look at clips like this. Say, well, these guys, security risk. You can, can't have them in there. Uh, they're going to analyze what we're writing and doing, right? So what kind of logical school board system wouldn't look at some of these insane videos from TikTok of these teachers, the people that are teaching your children? I mean, I saw one recently. It was a little bit different, but it was from preschool. But these demonic women—they had like a, a mask on from yeah. that movie screen. You, I think you saw there were yes. they were, and the, the kids, the preschoolers were screaming and see they were, and that wasn't really a political thing. But again, what is in your mind that you think that's a good idea? Why don't and you don't stop when they're obviously terrified? So who are we putting in charge of our children? And so. A school board, that's the first thing they would do. They would look, yeah, there you go. They would look and say, uh, well, wait a minute. Look, look at the, look, look at, you know, look at Miss Adams' video here. Uh, you know, this is, uh, she's pledging allegiance to the LBGDP flag and uh, they're talking about indoctrinating people and she can't wait to find kids to transition. And, so, and that's, that's all out there. These people, now they censored, again, libs of TikTok did nothing. The woman, great, great idea. All she did was, was uh, retweet or re you know share the verbatim videos of these these crazed lunatics, and uh, they shut her down for doing it. Aren't they proud? But so, well, it'd be interesting to see what happens with the school boards. But I, I that I, I said for a while, I got some hopium on that for a while. I, I don't know. It seems to have cooled down, but uh, we'll see. But if I if I don't hear, and I don't know how you know, it might be hard even to find out what the results are. I have to, probably have to have. Vince Agnelli checked that out for me because he's really good on local stuff, but uh, and find out. But if there's not a huge turnover there. I I, I don't know what to, I, I hate to be hopeless. But I just that's why I say bring the John Doe clubs. You know, I've talked about that. The, let's let's start John Doe clubs amongst ourselves and just try to be good neighbors to each other. Maybe something good will lead out of that. Well, yeah. Shout out to Vince Agnelli to uh, get his emails, and I, I I need to respond to him. I got busy. He sent me an email about my show. The other I think it was America Unplugged and what we were talking about with uh, foreign policy, but yeah. you know, it's funny, you know, you mentioned HL Mankin. I was just thinking while you were talking, Don, about just random quote in my head, but I was thinking no one never went broke under <laughs> underestimating the intelligence. Of the <laughs> something, something truly HL Mankin, you know, I, yeah. I read a biography that William Manchester did on him. I mean, William Manchester yeah. like stayed with him, I guess in the fifties, you know, and uh, I always thought that was a really good book um, about him and his old age and, and just mm-hmm. what a different kind of character he was. But, you know, yeah. th- this is that's exactly right. I mean, we we have had such dumbing down. Whether you're talking about the the culture itself, cultural Marxism, it's. Um, I, I remember reading years ago about the uh, it was the phrase the acid of modernity, like how mo- the, the modern age itself is just eating away at the fabric of what we the civilization we built. And you know, it's uh, I don't know. It's just strange times. I think about uh, something that Oscar Wilde said that America was the uh, was the only civilization that went from decadence or went from barbarism to decadence with no civilization in between. He was around at the beginning of the 20th century, uh, barely. But uh, I, I, I look at where we've gone now and it's like you can see everything has been just accelerated. We've been put on all yeah. these. Uh, I mean, just literally like just put on a path for destruction and like they just turn up the volume of these wokest and uh, leftist and Marxist and all whatever it is. And. I don't know. It's it, what do you think will be the equilibrium? What do you think will shut some of this stuff down? I mean, do you think when there's more you wrote survival of the richest on, do you think that 
if there's if there's really a a an economic hardship, do you think that there just won't be time for this kind of excessive debauchery or uh, you know uh, you know the the excess of it? What, what do you what do you think? Yeah, it may not be time for transgenderism anymore. <laughs> that's 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 a short name for like an old book bag. No time for transgenderism, you know. <laughs> but uh, I, I think you know. I look again, I always look to, because we have such a, a melting pot that they've created here and it, the country's becoming increasingly non-white. I'm waiting for more and more non-whites to uh, to start protesting because the white people are a lost cause. I'm sorry, they just are. But most majority, they hate, they hate, they're, put, they're, they're promoting anti-white racism when they themselves are whites. Uh, there's so many of them. They're the ones, the Karens, all that. Those are white women. The transgenderism, the the, the the Frankenstein scars on the little girl's chest, all white women doing that. I'm sorry. It's all crazed white mothers. TikTok videos, 99% of them are the teachers, crazed young white women. They bought into the system so much. So I'm wondering, especially look at all the Hispanics that we brought in, our largest minority group. You wouldn't know it by watching television, but they are. And uh, there's way more of them than blacks now. Uh, it's at what point, second, third generation, do they start objecting to what's going on? Because they're, you know, they're, they're a Christian, uh, largely Catholic group. Uh, you know, they're traditionalists in many respects. At what point do they get tired of being lawn crews? Uh, I, I want Asians, you know, brilliant. Somebody, what, at what point do they start, stop the anti-white stuff when all the attacks on Asians, everyone is, are by blacks. At what time do they, you know, realize, wait a minute, why are, you know, why are we being held out of Harvard because we're doing too well on tests? Uh, I, I wonder about this, but unfortunately so far there, we haven't seen that. And you're going to have to see that because again, because identity politics is predicated, it's built around an anti-white foundation if lots of non-whites start complaining about these things, they can't ignore them. They can they can ignore you know an outlier like uh, Kanye West, who I thought was brilliant with his White Lives Matter T-shirts. But again, you somebody to- told me when I was talking about it, they had a great answer. Said, "I'll pay attention when I see a white celebrity wearing that shirt in public," and that's true. That's that's true because you will never see that, never. <laughs> but uh, so it, it's you know, him and Candace Owens. I mean, it's nice to see that. And unfortunately, that's where we have to look for our hope in many ways because again, white people have been co-opted, except for people like us who don't have access to those kinds of uh, platforms. So I, I I think when the melting pot starts boiling over, when all the other ingredients in the melting pot when they when they start realizing, you know. <laughs> Hey, look, we're being boiled here. You're not little frogs. Uh, maybe they'll start raising hell. I don't know. I, I'm hopeful of that. And I'm also hope that, you know, that, that a lot of this can be brought down by internal, because it's all madness. A lot of this is based on madness, that maybe the madness can explode against itself. So if, if you have, for instance, if a, a lot of people catch on to the fact, oh, you know what, it's a really advantage now to identify as black. If you start having Asians and uh, Middle Easterners, uh, Hispanics identifying as blacks, I, I think you'd see something because, you know, black people don't, they don't stand for that. What do you mean? You're not, they'll instantly say, that's, what are you talking about? And uh, I, that's what I think we have to see where the political correctness has to explode against itself. Now that's, but that's just one aspect of it. We, we, we're dealing with a trifecta. One of course is the COVID madness is still on the COVID, the medical police state that has been built and it hasn't been deconstructed. You know, they're, they're, they're still, you know, it doesn't matter how many people die of the vaccine. They're still going to claim, you know, they're still, they're st- even though they're admitting it, you have that. You have the 
Orwellian police state that was built out of that that is uh, politically prosecuting all enemies of the state. And we see, again, January 6th prisoners, people like that, the guy that may go to uh, prison for 11 years for uh, singing hymns at an abortion clinic. We're seeing this all the time, these draconian sentences for enemies of the state for nonviolent offenses. And then the final thing is the cultural decadence, which, you know, I don't, Oscar Robert has to invent a new term. I don't even know what this is, but it's, it's but, you know, when, when you have the transgenderism nonsense that has, uh, you, per, you know, declaring your pronouns and you have doctors that are uh, in, in danger of losing their jobs if they don't say pregnant people, that kind of thing. It's absolute madness. So as I've said, you know, we've, for years, we've dealt with a combination of incompetence and corruption, but now we have absolute insanity that's thrown into the mix. So we have a trifecta and that's, that's hard to go up against corruption, incompetence and lunacy. That's where we are right now. You need a special weapon there. And I I don't know any other weapon other than the power of God and just to stand in the light and, you know, try to do the best we can do. Do the best we can brother. Um, I think before I let you plug anything you want to plug and tell people where they can, a good idea for, I think on the, I protest for your Substack. write a column on Kanye West. And yeah, <laughs> I'd like because I because I know if Donald Jeffries researches that I'll get the absolute truth of what abs, what was said because all I know is that Kanye West goes from wearing a White Lives Matter shirt to he's an anti semite and I'm like wait a minute that was a pretty swift ride you know I think he criticized <laughs> Jared Kushner who owns six 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 Fifth Avenue uh, I know <laughs> that but I, I, I go, I go what, where's the I've not heard this before and I you can't really find anything other than well he was so dis- clearly anti-semitic i'm like what was the what's the charge you know so maybe donald jeffries i think you get some good views out of that but tell people where yeah. they can find you well donald jeffries at media the website you mentioned earlier and that's uh you can find everything you need to know about me there uh, but if you, you go to substacks donald jeffries at substack.com i protest is the name of it just like our show that you produce every friday for me on the on the same fine rockfin channel uh that's uh five to seven every five to seven eastern 5 7 p.m. Eastern every Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. I protest this here. Uh, again, all my books are out there. The latest is on Bard Fame about the entertainment uh, industry, but uh, social media at Don Jeffries on Twitter. But you know, <laughs> they block me there, but it's still nice to have more followers until they automatically take them away, which they, they do as well. But, uh, but Donald Jeffries.media is the easiest thing. That's the website, and it's all there in one place. Well, Don, you always make radio easy. I just feel like I'm on cruise. I know I, I put you in the third hour. I'm like, I might run out of stuff. I'm not David. I, I, uh, he is the master at prepping and running the three hour show. Yeah. And I'm just the fill in host. I'm just the guy keeping the lights on while he's, uh, going to be, uh, attending his son's wedding and, uh, Travis and, uh, I want to support Congratulations. that. Well. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolute good stuff for the Knight family. But, uh, thank you so much, Don. Appreciate you. I'll, uh, I will definitely be talking again possibly this week and uh, definitely have you on next week for sure. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks, Tony. Thanks. Thanks, Don. All right, folks, we've got uh, about a minute and 50 seconds left. And so I will uh, take a minute to talk to you about the David Knight show.com. And uh, again, I started the day off with my David Knight mug. Uh, and I've got my David Knight pen, <laughs> got my David Knight shirt, and uh, you can support David directly, the David Knight show.com. Another thing, you know, part of um, uh, this wonderful relationship that I have uh, with the Knight family and, and David, and, and that is uh, supporting him through gold and silver purchases. And we set up uh, uh, David Knight.gold 
so every purchase that through davidknight.gold, uh, every email we track, we every call, we every customer that comes through, David gets a portion of that. Uh, right now, uh, it's a crazy time uh, to to find supply for gold and silver. So kind of getting ahead of the ball with the central bank digital currencies, uh, it's a good idea to look into getting some hard physical assets. And one of the ways you can support David is davidknight.gold. I wanted to plug that. And we have our new Wolfpack program, uh, which you can put in promo code David. I'm about to add something to that. So if you put in promo code David, not only can we track it, but you're going to get a little gift uh, as well. And uh, that is that is certainly on the table. Let me see if I can get the daily outro. We'll do it right on the button. Stand by. Hey, <laughs> I got it right this time. Excellent. Always a pleasure, always an honor. Uh, David Knight audience, the callers, everybody, you make this easy. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Gar Goldsmith, God willing, will be in studio, ready to drop some knowledge on you as he always does. Thank you so much. Take care of each other, ladies and gentlemen. End of transmission. Life is a continuous confrontation with forks in the road. One is good, one is bad. And you could always wander completely off the road altogether and become lost. Totally and completely lost. If you take the wrong fork at one of these junctions, there is always the opportunity at the next fork to get back on track. But it is a constant battle within ourselves. You see, I have studied this concept for many, many years. And I have to tell you that if there is a real devil, like Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. I'm not telling you that there's no such thing as Satan or Lucifer. I'm telling you this. If there really is a devil, that devil exists in the hearts and minds of men and nowhere else. Nowhere else. For if you take man out of the equation, evil ceases to exist. And there is left only the laws of the universe and the balance of nature. Put man in the equation and before long evil will rear its ugly head and present itself to the world. The evil is within man, and that is why it was called the fall. The devil never made anyone do it. If you do it, you did it yourself because you fell into temptation. For until man once again confronts the real nature of his own condition and of the world around him and accepts full responsibility for his actions without blaming anyone else or any devil, until then we will always be a puppet on the end of someone else's string. And ladies and gentlemen, when that someone pulls that string, we will dance.